Welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. John is making weird hand motions that you can't see. He's and a be T-Rex. thankful. Yeah, I'm a T-Rex. You have a big head and little arms. Nobody thought this through. The Dayquil kicked in. So. Oh, got it. I think evolution didn't think that yes, through. That's also true. Um, welcome to another episode um, and another listener request, which we'll get into more about that shortly. Yeah. Um, I want to direct people towards autographs. I haven't done that in a while. And my latest interview is with the one and only Danger Doll. Um, another in-person interview, which I've been doing more of and has been a lot of fun. There's something about being in the same room with the person you're interviewing to kind of get an interactive conversation There's also something going. about them living in Brooklyn that, you know, that helps allows too. that possibility. That, that helps, although MC <laughs> Lars, when he was live on the show, he is touring through and I caught him while he was here. So, ah. you know. So he Strategy. was in Brooklyn. He was in, but he was performing in Brooklyn. Yeah. That is true. It's still, <laughs> I mean, we're not getting flown out to like, say, even Philly or Boston mm-hmm. or something like that. Which but, would be which would be like a whole different level. Really, right. cool. the Crash Chords account isn't that big to fly in people from the other side of the world. No, no, no it's not that big. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, I wanted yeah. to direct people towards that because I had a blast chatting with her, and she's actually really excited to be a our next crossover guest. She wants to bring some music to this show. Um, she's like, but choosing one death metal album to bring would be really tough. I was like, you can bring any death metal album as long as it's wow, recent. That's. A little terrifying. Yeah, she's big just into got, heavy metal. So just like, a like stock heavy, full heavy of death metal. Wow. But um, and I also want to talk about the first return to Crash Chords autographs, which just aired as well. Which is of course Mr. Michael Kill, uh, one of the first few indie rappers I interviewed. A good internet friend of mine, and we've chilled a few times when he's been in Brooklyn. He's a good dude, and his brand new record that we talked about back when he was first on the show is finally coming out. So we're going to talk more about that. Although he had a different new record out then, but not the new record he intended to put out that he'd been working on for a long time. It was something he just worked on in a short period of time to get something condensed and out and just have new music. So so I'm excited to have him back. That'll be a blast. So yeah, dive into autographs if you haven't yet. If you like uh, interviews and interesting guests, and please enjoy. He was in episode eight, right? Yeah, really early on. Um, See, I'm slowly starting to get the art, the autographs archive memorized. Yeah, well, you know, along with the CCP archive, which, which you I do have memorized, have yeah. plenty memorized. Yes. Um, so yeah, but um, enough about that, and enough about us. Let's jump into what we're doing this week, which is a uh, a um, regular listener of the podcast and good friend of ours, Star F, That's threw us something. Right. We owe this week's album suggestion to Alex Star F. Alverson, uh, a most participant listener who brought us We Cool by Jeff Rosenstock back in episode 148, and who was ecstatic that we picked Blurry Face by 21 Pilots in episode 168, saving him from having to pick it, as it seems he would have. Uh, But he's been very vocal, and we've been very appreciative, and you can find his comments and personal thoughts on each album under each respective post. Respectively. (laughs) On the website, yes. Respective, everything respective. Uh, Now, of course, those are both two very different albums by two very different types of artists, one a little bit more rap pop and one more indie rock. Well, this time, Star F has given us an album that is rap proper. Alternatively, I guess you could say alternative rap, as <laughs> Aesop Rock is often classified. So yes, we are doing The Impossible Kid by Aesop Rock. Which is an album I was actually thinking about picking. I had been sampling a little bit and listening to, and I had thought about, and then I kind of moved on and decided to go with 3 by uh, Blue Man Group instead. But 
Um, so Star F was thinking of picking Blurry Face, and then you picked it. <laughs> yeah. And then actually, no, John, well, John picked, picked that then. one. Yeah. And you were thinking of picking this until yeah, he finally picked it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. So you have a thing. I do have a thing. Um, but I want to thank Star F for picking this. I also want to give a shout out to the rest of his crew and RPG unit. They put out some really fun and awesome hip hop music. Um, I think they have something new coming out for. Um, not over. Is it Overwatch or it's the other shooter that's like Overwatch? Battleborn. I think they're putting out a song about Battleborn soon too, which will be really cool. And if it's not and it's Overwatch, then you know I was wrong, and you can yell at me in the comments. Um, but they're not the same game, dude. They're, they're, they're just, not. They're totally not the same game. <laughs> but um, but I've checked out a bunch of their stuff, and if you haven't listened to the RPG Unit, you should definitely go check it out. It's some really awesome uh, hip hop, and I'm enjoying that stuff. Um, we connected through the indie rap scene. Um, I forget where he exactly found me from, but it's through, you know, artists like Michael Kill and Shaver the Dark Lord and, and the like that the community comes together. And so we're appreciative of Star F and so keep making awesome stuff. Yeah, and it's why considering that background, it's nice that he finally brought us a proper rap album. So Aesop Rock, who is he? Well, let's find out. He would be Ian Matthias Bavitz, a rapper from Portland, Oregon, who was engaged in the alternative hip-hop scene back in the late 90s. At least they were calling it alternative hip-hop back then, and kind of the early 2000s. This is already his seventh album, so he, he's not a spring chicken. No, But sure. from what I can tell, his skills have been pretty much honed. Uh, apparently he gained a lot of insight into hip-hop from his family's commutes to New York City back in the 80s and 90s. And once he started rapping, he started picking up the bass and the piano, and it was just a slow uphill climb. Small victories, each album just gaining a little more credibility than the last, until now at 40 years old his name seems to be pretty known and pretty acknowledged, but he's still a pretty unorthodox figure, and I, I like unorthodox, I like when I hear that <laughs> word, um, because his lyrics can apparently get pretty abstract, and uh, that's a widely held opinion of his lyrics, not just by us. Um, some some people say it more negatively, others less so, but where's the fun without controversy, right? No, of course. Yeah, we don't like clear pictures here on the Crash Chords podcast. Right. I like imagery. I like imagery a lot. I, I, like, said. I like fuzziness. That's I what like, I said. I like being able to interpret it. You like, so anyway, you like fuzziness, but I you like, fuzziness. like imagery. It's because yeah. his Even face though you is so fuzzy. Get such not clear imagery from fuzziness. Well, it's 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 all about the imagination, and the Texture. interpretation, and mm. the ability to to put yourself and in your this warped and, mind. Well, that definitely that doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh speaking of warped, speaking of <laughs> mystery, speaking of abstract. The track one of this album called The Impossible Kid is called Mystery Fish. What the hell does that mean? I don't know. The best we can discern is this is apparently a track generally about the alley that he used to live on when he was in San Francisco. That is just taken from the internet. That's as general as it comes. We'll get more specific as we go into these lyrics, but it will get pretty challenging. I want to talk about the music first, because for a rap album, it, it takes a lot for me to like hone myself in on the music and hear... I was drawn in within seconds, and th this intro, just alone, is quite ominous. And it's ominous to me in more of a sci-fi sense, like, it captures a feel that I think never really leaves throughout the entire album, and that's this kind of Blade Runner, dystopia, very dour. In fact, there's a fun fact about this entire album, almost every track on the entire album is in the minor key. So he never, like occasionally there's some dabbling in Dorian, occasionally some other modes, but there's never really attempt to lift the album's spirits musically. It just kind of festers in this minor dystopia. And uh, I think we're gonna have a pretty fun time trying to judge these lyrics accordingly. But from the opening crash, this deep low end reverberation in the beginning of the first track, it kind of reminds me of, of like the gong at the end of Search for Spock. 
And that whole uh, <laughs> the Faltor Pan ritual where Spock's Katra is returned to McCoy, like from McCoy to his body. And then that gong guy who's just right off to the side. He's, he's just tapping the gong. He takes his job very seriously. And he's just every once in a while just banging away. And as I can probably tell by present company, uh, as with many things we allude to, it is not exactly that. Right, obviously. And it will be lost on many people, the comparison. But they have the same character. Just imagine the seriousness of that tone. It has kind of an ancient quality, but also a futuristic quality to it. Just like the timeless echo of the cosmos. And I got all this within that opening crash, first five seconds, and then digital crickets to follow. Well, no, I wouldn't call them digital crickets because it reminds me of something completely different than that, and that is the... Different imagery. Great. Yeah. The fuzzy warp mind of John. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the very ambient and paced mechanical idea that was present in the uh, newer Tron. In uh, the soundtrack that Daft Punk created for that movie, in in the very paced and cold, as opposed to crickets, I don't know. I don't feel like oh well, the coldness. Sort of, like, I I feel all of oh, that. Oh okay, I, I thought mean, you were going for a more natural feel to it because it, it, no, when you say crickets. I mean no, it's more just the barren nature of it. That's oh, okay. the, that's what it gives off. And this okay. is all before we get any lyrics at all. But to further like fill out this dystopia, you you just it just keeps building, and then the synth comes in, starts darting around, and then finally we do crash ultimately into what becomes I guess the main beat of the track. This this very energetic but erratic and disturbed beat before he finally starts rapping. And I love his rap style. It's a very, very enunciated style of rapping. Uh, it's very, very strong emphasis on syllables, and you get a real feel and a real texture just in in the way he chooses to frame his words. Yeah, very tight, very punchy, and these things, like, alone would be great. Uh, just by themselves, they'd attract a lot of fans of rap music, but he did something even more special in the very beginning that I don't hear a lot of. It was very attention-grabbing. You get kind of a sense of instability and lack of confidence in certain little words of his delivery. Just within the first few lines here, it's kind of a, a cringing sensation that, that he purposely tries not to stick the landing on certain words. Think, tech support, feral army, in a cave on a failed bit of terraforming, and he kind of drags out that one word mm -hmm. as if he's like a little bit unsure about it, and then he continues, four corners of paranormal get shorn for a thermos and a pair of thermals in the warehouse air where his dairy curdles St. Vincent de Paul trying to square the circle and it's like it's not quite on the beat. He just he just he just milks that that phrase, and it's a very alluring thing that I've heard from a rapper for like his first verse. A lot of times, I notice rappers tend to have a very stagnant flow throughout. Like it, they they pick a flow. Maybe the flow is great. You can admire their skills, and that's that's all well and good. But they'll be pretty constant with that, and you can expect much the same for the rest of the track. Here, he's incredibly dynamic because following that that opening those opening first few lines, his flow kind of changes completely, and he becomes more what John said, very uh, increasingly punchy and really enunciating those syllables and bringing them out to the best of his ability, almost like fine periods at the end of sentences. What I also like about his style of, of rapping is that his flow is almost too fast to follow. It's not, but if you zone out even slightly, you could lose words, but if you're paying attention, you can catch everything he's saying. In the context, it may not make sense, yeah. but you can absolutely follow every word he's saying. There's no question of what the words are spoken because, because of how enunciated they exactly. are. And I love that. That tends to be the, the, the style of rapping I drift towards more. I mean, I would say the same for Michael Kill and, and Tribe One. A lot of these artists I've cited before on the podcast, both this and Autographs, are rappers who are very enunciated and very clear in the words they're saying, so you can never question what's being said 
it's just a matter of how well you can pay attention and yeah, follow. Yeah, I'm not in general a fan of, of like slurred rapping. Like it's slurred. Sometimes it improves. Maybe that's the flow that you need to convey a certain message. But you, the the side effect is you do often lose some words, and then right. it's like, well, I have to have the manuscript in front of me, and it's it's just a little annoying at that point. But here, everything, yeah, you, you can't miss it. Um, I I do really like again that that sense of just adding like periods at the end of sentences. Every line feels like it's it's wrapped like a declaration, very matter of fact. Just just as a thought experiment, let's try this. Following the, the lyrics that I just read, I'm going to try to actually put a snap on the places where I feel such a harsh period at the end of sentences here. Circle the source of his power. Foresight born at the corner of Howard on sale. Cherry pick blue in the pail. It's a blue nose chew in his tail. Losing his coat. Schmoozing a high and a head rush. Hack up bile over H1N1 and then some. Ah, it's just so... F I, I love the resounding, like, effect of some of those landings that he sticks. It's it's completely engaging, and I, I honestly have to say, and this is directly to Star F right now, I have never simultaneously loved the music as much as I have loved the rapping on a first track of a rap album as much as this particular track. Which so is high very hard marks at the moment. Um, I do also want to talk about a bit about how I know Aesop Rock as we move on to later parts of the song. So I actually first heard him, I couldn't figure out where. I assumed it was through Nerdcore because that's where a lot of my indie rap is coming from. But actually, it's through Bus Driver, who I've mentioned on this show a few times, who's a rapper I really was infatuated with, I believe, last year. He put out an album called Perfect Hair. Aesop was actually featured on one of my favorite tracks, Ego Death, on that record. And being able to hear him at length here, whereas it was just a smaller snippet there, um, and he added so much character to that track, too. So having the dynamics here is unsurprising to me, based on just the little bit I got. It pulls you in somehow, and I... I at least I know how, and that is by both elements simultaneously. I mean, the music needs to support the lyrics, and they need to kind of trade off at times. There are more musical elements that come back later. It's not just that opening, you know, bit that I talked about. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like how it takes some interesting turns because the soft trumpet sounds that show up later in this track, they were really intriguing. Just like two trumpets, trumpet-sounding things probably since, but one is panned more to the left ear, one is panned more to the right ear, and it's just these two overlapping instruments, basically doing the same thing, but a little bit offset, rocking between minor and diminished, and they're really compelling in themselves. Again, I would love this music, with the music itself, without the rapping, and I'm just so happy to finally be able to say that I have both present without reservation on a rap album. I just have one issue with this track, and uh -oh. I think it's mostly, okay. uh, they can't be perfect, they can't all be perfect. And I don't know, this song I thought was pretty close. <laughs> well, the one thing I do have issue, and it's mostly because I, it's mostly because I had to work to understand some of the things that were said. And I think it's, it's not actually a problem, but I, it requires some explanation. Some of the lines that come up, uh, other eye on the Drenkrom. Peg leg smells like metal in wake in the night. These are references that I don't actually quite get, and I had to do some research into. Drenkrom is actually from one of my favorite movies, uh, Clockwork Orange. And oh, refers, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. missed that too, and I love that book. It, it refers to one of the drugs that they would put into milk, right. such and such. Yes. Uh, Medellin is actually used to be the world's cocaine capital and there's even a reference to the Fisher King which was the last of the knights that would actually protect the Holy Grail like these are mm. these are some really deep literary references or historical references yep. that I like I really do like but at the same time 
This is on top of a lot of heavy imagery. It means I'm losing some of it. I'm I'm mm. I'm losing a, a, some of the meaning he's going for because it's so rapidly done that well, I, for his credit, I love the spit speed. I love the fact that he's able to really put so much into such a small area, but there's a lot being thrown at you here. I mean, there's a lot of... You get it in spurts. For instance, like in in the flow there, one eye on the breadcrumbs, other eye on the drencrum, other eye on the income. You know, you get the overall sense of, you know, he's got a lot to worry about, you know? And maybe I may have missed the drencrum reference, but now, including that, it starts connecting to things that we actually get later on the album. I mean, I think that the density is less of a problem for me because it's like a good movie to me. The idea that on a first watch, you don't necessarily lose anything by missing some stuff you just get a broader picture and then as you watch it more and more you pick up little intricacies and I get the same thing from this song the more I listen to it the more I pick up but I don't feel like I've lost anything by not having picked those things up on the first try and that's where I I think my issue is the density I like that word that you used right there for a first track, for an introductory track for someone who doesn't know him. Now, I'm sure his fans, I mean, like you said, seventh album. This is not a guy who is unknown to his fan base or to the rap scene in general. His fans would definitely be able to get into this right away. But the density, the words per moment that are, that's going on right here, there's a lot to take in. So for an introductory track for the first track of an album, that can be a little bit of an issue, and I did have a little bit of an issue for I this piece. Guess. I well, just don't I, really I'm, agree. A little, I'm a little with Matt because I, I I empathize with the fact that on a rap album, you you would tend to perceive that the way I usually perceive music. And we've had that, that discussion many times. In fact, just, just recently, I recall, about how I do like to see new things on an album Every, you know, every single time I listen to it. And that's from the musical angle. So, of course, why wouldn't you feel the same way about rap lyrics, yeah. which are inherently dense? Um, and in his case, because you have to work a little harder. I mean, all of this actually kind of has a lot of crossover and inter- interconnection with some of the recent conversations we've had. Yeah. You know, John, I remember you were saying that about, you know, Yugen, that it felt like a test that you had to take, that you have yes. to work tour. This is very much the same, and that was an instrumental. So, yeah. in other words, you have to work to understand the instrument to discover, you know, try to dis- peel away the layers. And here, it's just a case of research, you know, read up. <laughs> I, that said, I, I appreciate the challenge, and I, my argument is the same as it was then. That said, the fact that you had Clockwork Orange, uh, the cocaine capital of the 1980s, and the Fisher King all in one track, that's a pretty amazing ability to he's, pull uh, from yeah. he's, very different areas. He's broad-scoped. So let's go to track two and see how broad-scoped he is here. This track is called Rings, and oh god, what an intro. Yeah, so this this <laughs> intro immediately is, you know, you get a, a MIDI kind of 8-bit introduction, and... To me, I related it to video games only because I grew up playing the Castlevania games, which, you know, steeped in Dracula lore, organs, and that kind of organ sound and flow in an 8-bit form is very reminiscent of that. But truly, it's just very synthy for, like, that time period of the 80s. And We're in the same thing. If we were, right. we were mentioning names like Tron before and yeah. later on, then we're kind of back here to, again. And it was just, it had so much character for such a, because standing alone without the rest of the track was brief, maybe, like, 10 seconds, but it had so much character in that 10 seconds, I really well, dug it. Well, it's another case in this time, I am talking about musical density because of the fact that you have these, he likes overlapping, apparently, mm-hmm. little lines of music, just what he was doing with the trumpets in the last, where they were basically doing the same thing, but they were offset a little bit 
bit. Well, here you have like kind of these two synthesizer sounds that are offset a little bit. Um, it's it's mainly an A flat minor, and just up the scale we go, but in two respective positions on the scale, maybe like a minor third apart, and then backtracking several times. It's wonderful. It actually reminds me of the little end scale run at the end of George Gershwin's first Prelude. Uh, although I forget exactly what interval that was at, but when it was younger, it took me forever to learn that because on the keyboard it required you to kind of get in two separate scale mindsets, and it's what this kind of feels like, even though I still believe it's mainly A-flat minor. It's just a really, really cool effect, and it returns several times uh, in this song over his verses, usually just before the hook. Um, I'm referring to the same musical soundbite, but this time behind the, the lyrics, and it just cascades upwards and grows denser and denser, and I particularly love, onto another topic, that the vocals do not ignore this musical motif. They mimic it. And there's a tendency in a lot of rap music, again, for the music and the musician to remain very separate entities, even when the music is good. Uh, it's sometimes like they're barely aware of each other. But here, it's there's so much blending and so much artistic feedback, the vocals mimic the fast-paced scale runs. Just prior to the hook, in sort of what we're going to call the pre-chorus, there's this really super-fast, like, 16th note run that he does because he changes up his flow. Like, before, his flow was a little looser, was a little more... Um, it, it had a bit of a bounce to it. But this, suddenly, it becomes completely even in order to reflect the scale that you've heard since the very beginning. Specifically, the lines are, haunted by the thought of what I should have been continuing, a mission that was rooted in a 20-year affinity and rickety condition with an ID crisis, nap on the front lawn, look up the sky, it's... enter hook. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, I it's... And what I love about the hook, too, is the line, they will cut you down to see your rings. It's... It's this idea of treating a person like a tree, and how do you tell how old a tree is or what kind of life it's had? You cut it in half. And... Well, it's it's even further than that. It's it's not just cutting down the tree, counting the rings. Or they're going to his core. Yeah. They're, they're kind of ignoring the growth that he's had and everything mm -hmm. like that, and just trying to tally up the things he's done. Yeah. Uh, because the song itself, Rings, is is more about the lost art that he had. Because growing up, he 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 waxes eloquence on being an artist, being a physical, right. visual artist, and going on about how he never really felt he was any good or he was really going to go places with it, but it was an aspect of his life he truly enjoyed, truly loved. Um, in fact, from the, the, the very first line, used to draw. Hard to admit that I used to draw. Like, even yeah. there, once you yeah. start getting that, you could feel the, the self-recrimination of just, like, losing that aspect of, of kind of throwing away that aspect of his artistic life. It's also kind of like the cringing and the lack of confidence that yeah. I noticed in the beginning of the, the first verse of the first song. So, yeah, and, I, and it caught me, too. There's sometimes the spaces that he does employ here, I, I do have to admit, as much as I'm impressed by how fast he can spit, it's sometimes when you have that space, he really can make you used to draw. Hard to admit that I used to draw. That, that like, it cuts deep I mean, for anyone that had to give that up at some point. Sure. You know, I, the, those punctuations in the lyrics really kind of add a focal point to moments that are, are intended to draw, draw you in. You know, and the mimicry of the lyrics versus the music, I think, is really great too. The integration in this track is even, I feel like, twofold better than the last track. And it was in the last track. But here's where you get a real sense of the kind of production he does and it I, I it's truly impressive and i also think that there's a there's there's something about the like the soul of this track is mm -hmm. even brought out by by the melody this upper register synth comping that i hear in the hook um because of course following the line that i had read earlier what the, that following cue was nap on the front lawn look up in the sky it's 
Shapes falling out of the fringe, all heart though we would have made cowardly kings. They will chop you down just to count your rings, just to count your rings, just to count your rings. And in the meantime, you have that upper register synth comping. It's its its own melody, and it brings out the soul of how he feels at the moment. It's, it's almost, it almost sounds like human vocals, but of course it's just synth, and it just pierces right through. The, the, the two, the second interval, down to the sixth, up to the seventh, then down to the fifth, uh, below to the four, back up to the fifth, the resolve. It's just like these wide spaces between that melody, and it, it, it's actually a long way just to resolve, and the whole thing is absolutely gorgeous. You're just listening to him say, count your rings, count your rings in the background. It's, it was a really beautiful track, so as of now, nothing but positive things to say. <laughs> and I'm incredibly enticed by that second verse. When he starts going into uh, the actual description of, of what was going on when he was being a painter, it feels like through the words he's actually painting a picture. I'm especially a fan of one section. Pinhead kids of the minute drank Kool-Aid from a tube of acrylic and it grew up into linseed oil over linen. Joy to the poison voice of the resin. Capture a map of the gesture. Back up, add a little accurate fact to the figure. Redo that, move that inward. Zinc white lightning shoots from his fingers. Studio strewn with illusions and tinctures. Stay tuned for the spooky adventures. You can't imagine the stars that align when a form starts foreshortening right. Oh. I just love yeah. the, the wordplay that he's going through right here. And the combination of the, the, the metaphors what? he's throwing out, the imagery he's using with He also this makes stuff. me feel like I'm in Joy of Painting right now with the way, like, he yeah. he's actually, it's, it's a weird meta thing because, like, it's like brush strokes with the words right yeah. now. Meanwhile, he's discussing painting. Jeez. Um, it, but it's so sad to think that he gave it up like he really yeah. did give it up it wasn't something that was taken from him yeah you it, moved it was, on from it and I, that's the whole thing he never it really, really did. moved well, right. on and the I idea like, of you're physically kind of moving on from it and doing a different thing but you haven't actually let it go especially with the later lines routine day with a dirt cheap brush then a week goes by and it goes untouched then two then three then a month and the rest of your life you beat yourself up I left some seasons eager to fall. I left some work to bury alive. I let my means of being dissolve. I let my person curl up and die. And I, oh man, that yeah. gets me. Yeah, That really gets me that he lets this artistic idea curl up and die. Right, and it's like a part of him is dying, you know. And it's, it's so provocative, yeah. really, when you get down to the core of it, that he's... After being a successful rapper, or I don't know how successful, I really didn't do that kind of research, but... To, to really look back on your life and say, I've done this, but that part of me I felt like I let die. And yeah. to really feel that pain of it, it's it's so – it's it, it touches you. And, yeah. that, and that in itself also is, is enhanced by the same uh, thing that he did in the first verse, that kind of fast-paced nature. Like it's all catching up to him when he does those 16th note runs right along with the scale. Because here it's eating up his innards and unfeasible anxiety has brutally committed to relinquishing his privacy, aligning with the trials of the empty Midas, nap on the back long look, come this guy, it's enter hook. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> and, and as someone who – used to draw and used to be more actual artistically inclined when it came to painting and drawing and kind of I don't really do it anymore although I've tried recently and you know I mean I do it for fun but definitely don't do it in the great detail that I did I can absolutely relate to looking back on your past fondly of artistic works you might have done and made that aren't quite the same there's always going to be that wonder you know yeah. what if that had been my life right exactly 
From here we go, and there's <laughs> that's actually a good transition to track three, a lot of years, because oh. <laughs> this track is very contemplative in the sense that, you know, from an emotional place, it feels heavy with thought and and reminiscing and wondering if. And, and also, it, it musically, it takes, it, it kind of is a throwback back to a certain time. It, yeah. It's very reminiscent of 90s hip hop. I mean, the core beat itself is just very old school. It, you even get like record scratches in here. You get things that were, you know, they would be commonplace in any record of the time. So it all makes sense because he's referencing the past in which was probably that time. And it also starts differently than previous tracks had. Here we kind of get right into the beat and the flow immediately. There's not a lot of lead up. He just kind of takes off and we get what is a story. He's kind of doing a storytelling thing here. You know, there's, it's not structurally like the previous two tracks. It's a little shorter, it's more condensed, and overall I really like that. I think it gives us another aspect. The last two tracks are definitely him kind of more speaking to himself, trying to reason out his own, his own place in life, I guess, at the moment, through the lens of, of referencing the past, but here it is, it's just a straight trip down memory lane, um, and and you feel that, even besides just, you know, the fact that the music sounds a little bit old-fashioned, the, the track has a, it's a much slower pace to it, it has a kind of a trudge, it's almost like walking down the street with a chip on your shoulder, mm-hmm. um, and because, again, because it has kind of a 90s feel, like it's sort of a montage in my head, like I see cars parked on the street that, that are older, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and also I like here, with the instrumentation here, it's still interesting, but, you know, the lyrics kind of take the front seat, but like he's done in previous tracks, he takes a moment, takes a breath, pauses, and it allows the instrumentation to flourish a little bit so you can hear it and hear what it's doing, and then he comes back in. Well, one piece of instrumentation in particular, and that would be that little blues riff, the little mm-hmm. electric keyboard That's exactly piano. That's about. That was, uh, so the, here's the thing, this this track mostly it's an F minor, and there's just that flat five that just, you know, really milks that again. It's this, it becomes the dominant feature. I, every single time it comes back, I'm completely, like, you just, you just want to buy with you almost feel mm-hmm. like you're in some kind of sepia toned movie of like you know the 70s I know I'm kind of like a little blurring my years together you're sure. like the 70s 90s oh whatever you're practically the same thing <laughs> well that's great because the content of the track really is kind of old man complainy yeah. style sure yeah because yeah. the first uh, part he references a kid that gets a tattoo on his neck of uh, lips which is kind of sort of popular yeah but there's no real meaning besides the obvious to that tattoo while the tattoos that that he has that were actually done by artists he explains they were done by artists for him yeah and represent something to him while as he says now some 22 year old inside a cube of brick and mortar got me questioning my morals in the corny pecking order He's he, he he sees this kid with his own identifying mark on his skin as sort of like uh, the the new idea where it doesn't really represent the same sort of depth that his own markings, that his own, like, in many ways, scars of life represent and, him. And once again, the, the, the way he, I talk about milking moments here, you know, you can feel the bitterness in the way he closes that phrase and their corny pecking order. Yeah. Like, it's just so, it's just gritting his teeth. His emphasis becomes recurring on this album, especially during hooks or right before the hooks. But what I like about that moment, too, is it's making him question his tattoos because of how kind of almost he doesn't get that tattoo. It makes him question his own, which is interesting, especially considering tattoo is considered very personal. Which is also really nice because 
that verse, because it started with him going into a Baskin Robbins and <laughs> actually seeing this kid and yeah. them striking up a little bit of conversation, like he goes right back into the whole meaning behind the very beginning and goes, cherries, no. Whip, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's like, like bookended, that, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, that little moment of his life that made him question his morals. It's around this very mundane idea uh-huh. at the very core of it anyway because it's just walking in and getting some ice cream. Right. And that those kind of themes come back later too. Like, he, he's a good wordsmith and he's good at in pulling you into his life but also sharing a moment with you, which I really like. And it's almost like he gives up himself at a certain point. Like, mm-hmm. the hook is comparatively simple. Uh, to, to previous hooks, it's just a lot of years. Yeah. A lot of years. It's the title of the track. And this is like he had to just sit down and, like, like soak up how... But it's the way he delivers the, the, the it. The time. Yeah. And then in verse 2, he goes even further, and he talks about this lady that grew out her hair and cut it off so that she could wear it whenever she feels like it. And he goes... My mind's fucking blown. The future is amazing. I feel so fucking old. I bet you clone your pets and ride a hoverboard to work. I used a folding map to find this juice place in the first. Like, he just yeah. doesn't <laughs> understand the concept of... It's a little bit of old man not getting new tech. But not even, like, just think about you grow your hair out so long and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous and then you cut it off. So you can wear whatever you want. It's so a wig. So you can turn it into a wig. Yeah. Why don't you just keep the hair if you love it so much? <laughs> sure. Like, that's that's Well, that's, that's what I mean. It just doesn't compute. Well, that's what I meant. Like the old man complaining, not getting new tech. It's that idea of complaining about a thing you don't really understand. Even if it's obvious to some and makes sense, he's kind of complaining from a perspective of not getting it. And, you know, I appreciate that as also someone who sometimes doesn't get new things. Like I still don't understand Snapchat and we're not getting into it. <laughs> so it becomes less no of a... does, really. It's, it's just nice to see him doing sort of a slice of life yeah. of how much has changed for him personally. But at the same time, I like the way he's he's kind of he is making new stuff seem a little bit empty compared to how he grew right. up, which is a common theme, but it's phrased in a very beautiful way. And I like that the track is, like I said earlier, concise. It's only one minute and fifty nine seconds, and it, you know you kind of just move through it matter of factly, like he's telling a story, and I really like that. I think it was it was also something different from the previous two tracks. Now, the thing is, there's a lot of connection musically here between this track and the next track. Sure. Because I noticed that in track four, Dorks, it's also, like, it's it's a thinner track all in a similar way. It's really just, like, bass, but it seems to kind of go into this dwelling territory a little bit more yeah. from the well, musical standpoint. Um, it's, it's actually not, it may not even be bass. It, it so I thought guitar. it was a guitar, yeah. It's a guitar and a beat that... The guitar's know, on the low end, though. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. And so it's this low-end stringed instrument, whatever it is, and a beat, and that's it. It's pr- pr- very one-two. There's not, you know, a lot of technical stuff going on right here. It's just laying a foundation, essentially, groundwork. Though what comes in with those eerie or high tones does a lot to still yes, instill. Yes, the synth, yeah. It's that eerie factor. It's not quite the creep of uh, Mystery Fish or what even Rings had. Yeah. It's just eerie. It's just a little bit off-putting, a little There's bit off There's something very uncomfortable about this. Also, the mm-hmm. fact that, like, that, that guitar, it really doesn't... This just plays a couple of notes, just like G... A flat G, just this 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 flat you know two all the time. Then it goes down to F, then back up to G, and it just does that pretty much the duration of the track. There's something a little bit more traditional I feel in this, in that it picks something uh, a, a simple bass line, if you want to call it. It is a bass line essentially, um, 
and it just sticks with it for the duration of the track, and it really functions more as a loop this time. But that's because he's trying to set a mood here, um, and there are only a couple of other elements that serve to enhance this, like these high-pitched like synth drones uh, that just kind of screech their way on later, also kind of overlapping, because that's a, that's a motif on this album, and they serve to also make this just really uncomfortable. It's kind of like a chip on his shoulder, but in a different way. Yeah, it's yeah. mean. It's not just uncomfortable. There's, there's definitely a little bit of a grudge. Not even a yeah. chip, like a full-blown grudge going on right here because the content of the track is all about yep. almost celebrating him not being the center of what rap is nowadays right or maybe just recrimination of what the center of rap is what rap has turned into since he's been part of the scene yeah and for sure he makes some scathing indictments here in the lyrics of the first verse Question, if I died in my apartment like a rat in a cage, would the neighbors smell a corpse before the cat ate my face? I used to floss the albatross like Daddy Kane with a chain. I'm trying to jettison the ballast with the hazardous waste. The kid is comfortably numb, routine in a tedious crutch, steep in a self-imposed Stockholm and Lima in a flux. Maybe an occupation popular with demons and ducks, made any mingling akin to being seasoned and stuffed. It's the theater of jumping jellyfish, jealous little sycophants, miserable and flimsy, from the skippies to the pissy pants. Each one separately convinced they're sketching with Da Vinci's hands. That's pretty. Like he doesn't like them. Yeah. <laughs> he said. Oh, there's. That's. Some... I mean, that I've heard. You know, rappers are supposed to trash talk, but that's uh, some pretty high caliber stuff. It's. There's also some of the most amazing on the entire album's uh, metaphors going on right here. I love the line. I used to floss the albatross. Like Daddy Kane with the chain. He's, yeah, please explain this. Oh, this is one of my favorite parts of the entire album. Uh, the Albatross was an old mariner's tale. I don't know the actual poem that it comes from, but the general gist is an albatross is a symbol of hope and Jesus for sailors, for mariners. And during the course of this story, uh, the one of the mariners actually kills the albatross for some unknown reason, even to him. And then bad things befall the actual seafarers. So they make him wear it around his neck. He's actually alluding that he's wearing the dead albatross, staving off the disaster that is his, maybe his career, maybe rap in general, the same way other rappers, Daddy Kane in particular, but other rappers wear gold around his neck. That is a beautiful literary reference and one of the most uh, imaginative things I think he's come I've come across yet on this album, and one of the most challenging, and one where we're very glad we have John. <laughs> and then, and then the, a, a line that you read a little bit later: the kid is comfortably numb, routine, a tedious crutch, mm -hmm. steep in a self-imposed Stockholm and Lima in flux, and that's the um, a reference to Stockholm and Lima syndrome, which. One is kind of the opposite of the other. Stockholm is uh, when those you sympathize captured, with the captors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Lima is the actual opposite, where the captors sympathize with those they've they have, captured. They've captured. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Just the idea of, of well, sometimes the rap conglomerate has a Stockholm going on with their rappers, yeah. and vice versa. Versus. Like like that. It's that's that's a, a flux if there was anything. I mean, I, I'm I'm loving everything. That it, it's fascinating saying. to see how he drifts from like you know kind of a, a reference that seems a little bit more obscure like that, although it's not if you've read up on it clearly, um, to something that just seems pretty blatant. Like each one separately being convinced that they're sketching with Da Vinci's hands. Delusion turned the communication to prison camp. You fucking dorks ain't a threat to the cause. There ain't a lesson. 
we can learn from the ostensibly lost. I mean, he gets he gets sharper and sharper as he goes on. Sometimes just kind of leaving the uh, the references at the gate because at this point he's just talking to them directly. Well, yeah, and the whole that whole verse is essentially him distancing himself from the rest of the community, um, maybe the mainstream community, I guess. But when he delivers the actual hook, which is maybe no one cares, party over here. I'll be over there. Yeah. The way he delivers, I'll be over there, with the kind of pause between party over here and just the tone he delivers it in, is vocally distancing himself as well. And we talked about that earlier in the previous track. I love the character he builds and this kind of just, the way he actually speaks these lyrics it just gives you the emotion as strong as the actual lyrics themselves deliver. It has something to do with the fact that he has such a range of eloquence, yeah. right? So he goes from being really eloquent on one hand, right, and being particularly uh, sharp in the process, and then sometimes he just feels he needs to sit back. This is where it's kind of in, in common with the last track. You know, he, he goes down memory lane, and then finally he just sits back, a lot of years. Yeah. A lot of years. And and he just he kind of lets it roll over him, the, the, the meaning of it all. In this case, it's the same thing, but it's just, you know, like, if that went over your head, if any of that went over your head, there's a party over there, I'll be over here. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's, he's just he's separating himself. Just enunciating himself and just kind of dem- just just completely simplifying it, you know, for anyone that was wondering. What I also like about this track, we got a little bit of it last track, but this track has, it's just more dramatic than the previous track, you know, and it's coming from all of these things we're talking about, and we get even more of it in the next track, but what I like is we're kind of getting an open window into his more intense, dramatic, darker side, and and track five, Rabies, is where it gets much darker, and the darkness can be felt immediately, from the, the just ominous piano synth notes we're getting in the very beginning, these deep tones. What, what I mean... It's it's just kind of an E, e minor scale run in the very yeah. beginning. And it really, like, it does set the it sets stage. sets the mood immediately. But there are also similarities to the last track in that, like, for, following that, the piano, you know, is, is starts doing the slow, thin beat, like what the guitar was doing, you know? It just th- also a similar kind of uh, structure here, and then it throws in the, the flat two, just rocking back and forth between F and E. So it's very eerie in that regard but it does seem thinner and maybe that's why it seems eerier to your ears maybe but also it sucks me in really quick too because again there's this kind of dramatic tone to it that's like I want to go into this world I want to know more and I'm really pulled in well I don't know if I actually would want to go <laughs> into this world this world is a little bit on the off-putting side yeah I don't want rabies personally well it's mostly in the drum beat that I'm really being off put because it yeah. doesn't feel like he's actually keeping 100% time with the beat itself. And I know that he is, but the playful. There's a dissonance to it. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, playful is definitely the wrong word. Yeah, dissonant dissonant. nature <laughs> of the drums is is a bit off putting, and I'm loving it for that. When you, when you add that in with the piano ish idea, it's creepy. It is yeah, full fledged creepy. No, I agree. It is, it's, it's a dark and stormy night. Yeah. And, but but it still one, feels like that storytelling element we've been getting previously, but definitely from a different place. Well, the place here is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the barn where he did a lot of the concept for this album. Uh, he borrowed, I don't know whose, but a friend's barn and kind of lived out there for a little while to really focus on what this album was going mm-hmm. to be. Wow. So now that he's... Is- that is yeah. such a composer thing to do. Yeah, and this is sort of, I guess, uh, a delve into the mindset of what was going on when he was in that barn. Yeah. 
So it's a little bit off the norm from what society kind of projects nowadays because he was cut off from electricity. He was cut off from cell phones and mass media and all that sort of stuff. And so it's natural that it would go and become way more internalized because he's there with his thoughts in an out in a space away from everyone. And it absolutely reflects that. Which is why him being more eloquent in describing the scene is actually... It's more like he's grasping what to feel and what what to latch on to when he doesn't have the same society propping him up. Hey, warm cider, barn full of spiders, orange moon, starry night, particle exciters, in a pageant rivaled only by the origin of fire. Now add an organism from alternative environs, a dozen pair of cartoon eyes in a thicket to see a neophyte get sliced into ribbons. I'm here to pick lice off each other and assimilate. Duck a suit, troubleshoot his moody user interface. True and suckerproof, grew to fully disengage, float his only vanishing point away from the picture plane. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, he's painting a very pretty picture, and if you can follow ve- along, well, pretty, pretty. I'd use the term listing, I guess, but he's painting a very clear picture for sure. I would actually say the opposite. It's really? a very Rorschach style of picture he's painting. But to some people, the Rorschach test is pretty clear imagery. Like, yeah, that you see exactly what's there to you. Yeah, and I, I get that. I definitely get that. <laughs> that's why actually I want to use that. I want to say it's very Rorschach. It's very. If you don't really get it, it might be hard to get. But here, like, if you start seeing the lines to make the butterfly, yeah. you can't unsee it. Yeah. The so, funny thing is I actually felt the music, you know, did actually start to shift at times. It started to shift in tone as if there yeah. was, like, a, a, a kind of a non-clear picture here. Like, it, it was almost like a squeaking. It, it sounds positive for, for just a brief couple of chords. It sounds like he actually used a major chord for once yeah. in the album. But I, I, I couldn't even verify that. It was just for one moment it seemed to actually have like a, a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel and then it kind of goes back down the rabbit hole um, and dwells with that slow piano thing. Well that's Very because weird. it loses the bass in those moments to play off of the higher yeah. oscillating yeah. type noise yeah. and then dive right back in. It's That brief moment was nice because it was almost like lightning striking down on a dark and stormy night. Just You get to see yeah. everything for an instant and then we're back into the darkness. I mean discussing it as we go it's a pretty clear picture from track one to track five and a pretty clear evolution too thematically which I think is really cool. You know, but you can find other things besides this clear personal place it's coming from, you know? I think when we go to track six, Supercell, we're getting something a little different again, but me and Steve kind of strap on the blinders because we get some funk here and funk we got, got sucked right in. Our the drums too, should the know drum by work now is that super I am useless, useless in the face of funk. It's true. Yeah, um, like literally useless. Like he can't type, he can barely speak, he wets himself, it's terrible. All of that. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a blob of human nothingness. Uh, but to be fair, I mean, all right, the bass, it does pretty much the same thing throughout here. It is kind of a loop, but the drums keep it equally as mm-hmm. funky. And I love the mixing on the drums. The hi-hat snare combo has, it's like these very clean one-offs. It feels very uh, closed space. It's really crisp, yeah. too. And and especially towards the ends of these phrases, like right before it goes to the hook, uh, the drum and, and the bass are just in complete syncopation. It's 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 wonderful. Um, again, funk. But, but what I like also is once the the synth work comes in and we get those electronic tones, it gives it this kind of electro groove that's really neat. That I'm sure I've heard somewhere before, but it definitely feels unique in this moment. Especially considering the only other place I can think we got something similar is what John cited earlier in the Tron soundtrack might have had something similar to this. But for sure, I absolutely dove in because you couldn't help but groove to it. I was just totally enamored with the uh, snare and hi-hat. 
Yeah. That just had me hooked almost from the very beginning. It felt more physical too here. Even though we had those electronic sounds and tones, the, the, the bass and the drums absolutely felt physical. Whether he was building them on, on a computer or not, it, it absolutely felt in the room. And uh, Steve said earlier that he does play instruments as well as mix uh, yeah, synth I, I would sound, have no so. doubt that that bass is probably him. I mean, it's not, you know, it's <laughs> it's looped, so it's not like, you know, you, you could have a, a nominal... It, it doesn't actually take a lot to be a funk bassist, which is why <laughs> everyone should do it and you have no excuse, <laughs> because then the world would be a better place. We'd have more funk in it. But one thing I think he does, which is a little bit cheeky, if not downright being, you know, almost panhandling, is when he goes... I'm a ghost. Ghost. He has the eerie whistle. Yeah, I love it though. Yeah, I love it's so well, fitting it's, for the idea that he's going on right here. And it's still kind of carrying a little bit of the darkness that came before in those chorus hook moments where he's whispering the word ghost. It even though the song doesn't feel that darkness, the lyrically you're getting a sense of it. So you know it's still kind of lingering there in the undertone. It's it adds just enough creep factor to really like. <laughs> hound in the point that he's doing with this track which is he's he's kind of just distancing himself from the core that was so poisonous yeah. earlier on from from what was so taintful earlier on he's he's a ghost he's he he's become he's a non-entity to what that is right. so look at some of the illusions he he employs here die already none defy the one man walled city stone made flesh veins etched in his hands 88 stance draped in invasive plants and rain dance unsafely brace for the supercell mutiny or footage from your blooper reel who can tell pours hot tar from the top of the barn necktie on his head condor on his arm dog star in a jar bordering on the sustainable mea culpa mea culpa maybe i should pray a cult <laughs> it, it's just his w wordplay is always so so tied to the song and doing fun things that he wasn't doing before. I mean, his there are certain things in his flow that he does bring from song to song, but a lot of it is, like you said earlier, matching what's going on around it, and I really dig that. Well, in this case, I'm also talking about the lyrics themselves, like right. all manners of distancing, like John just said. Yeah. Um, maybe I should just pray a cult. I mean, that's... That's a, an extreme form of distancing yourself, but if he already feels that he's that on the fringe, yeah. it's like that's that's where his mind goes. Well, it's interesting. The, the pre-hook of soon enough I will estrange you all, I get ghosts, 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 now the beat yeah. goes on, ghosts. And also, again, it's his, the way he's saying it is a distancing tactic like he was using earlier, and it really adds to the the dramatic elements in the sense of, you know, almost theatricality to the songs, you know. And I don't want to overuse that. But I think here there's definitely a sort of stage play about it, you know. Yeah. You get it's, this kind of scene painted. It's it's weird because we're talking about ambience in rap. Yeah. Like, it's it's this, this has definitely been a very trippy album so far mm -hmm. because it's so much... Like we're talking about how it how how it it sets the scene and everything yeah. like that. While most rap is is to deliver information and to deliver a story, and the scene setting is usually done through the actual wordplay. Here mm -hmm. we're getting so much of it built off of sometimes extremely simple but well designed beat work and well designed riffs. That when we go into the next track, Blood Sandwich, this one actually goes back to the old school idea of setting the scene 
through the words mm -hmm. specifically and full force. So Steve had mentioned that this starts with this kind of pitch percussion sound, which I really it's a lot dug. Of like, yeah, marimba, xylophone. It's kind of a minimalist uh, opening structure here, and it, and it bleeds very, very cleanly right into the first verse. It's just that becomes what you hear in the very beginning. You hear it for a little while just on its own, and then it becomes the backdrop. A lot of like just downward G minor, lots of triad work. Meanwhile, the bass is just resolving itself throughout the verses, just this 5-4, flat 3-2-1, just down the minor scale. So I, I feel like there's been a lot of simple, simplification in the music. Like, I feel like maybe I was preferring some of this stuff in the beginning, but I still am getting, I think with the trade-off is that I'm getting more atmosphere here. So, you know, six one, half dozen the other. You know, I think I want to take a moment to really kind of focus on the, the overall structure of this song for just a minute, because we're going to get into more of that. But... This is absolutely just a song about his two brothers, his younger brother and his older brother. So calling a blood sandwich, A is clever. I like that, the idea of a blood sandwich. He has one brother on one side and one on the other, one and, younger and older. And you, of course, reminded me that I shouldn't say that the instrumentation there, that minimalist structure persists throughout the entire song. It really is just the first verse because that is the first brother. Right, and, we'll, and he gets his own instrumentation. And then we get the hook that's really, really connected. And then it goes into different instrumentation for the older brother. And the transitional lyrical work, the transitional music work, I think is just beautifully done to convey these two very different people, you know, and how he feels about them, giving them their own character through the music and through the lyrical delivery. And I think that's a very clever way to build a song like this. It's also a very dramatic experience, both sides mm -hmm. of what's going on right here. But the first one, to get into the gist of it, is he's 10, his brother's 8. They're, he's watching his brother play baseball softball first time he's up at bat that's sort of a deal and one kid gets distracted during the game by a gopher causes a home run and the coach goes insane kills the gopher in front of these eight-year-olds <laughs> which that's <laughs> just crazy that's, that's crazy to yeah. begin with but the imagery especially towards the end of the of uh, the first verse the following is a transcript of man versus vermin here we go man stands out by a hole pest pops up to patrol. Man plays live whack-a-mole. I and love that the, line. I, yeah, yeah. But it's the pacing that's a little bit different than yeah. everything we've gotten on this album. In a scene that would try every child as adults, whoa. Paul bore with a ball mitt. Thrown over the fence. Coach hit the bench. Both teams lose. Good game, good game. Granny yelling, go Cubs. Cubs ain't playing. Yeah. Like, his pacing here is... is childlike in a lot of ways it's very a matter of fact yeah it's very just give the facts which is you got to think about it if someone this young has something that well you just saw a man kill a gopher with a baseball bat like out of nowhere it, it, it well, feels it's like it's, it's fitting true that I, I, so did, well. I did notice um, that there was some a little bit of sacrifice of flow, I think, in this, yeah. because he needed to get the facts in. Yeah. I feel like it wasn't quite as structured and uniform as some earlier tracks, and I could forgive it because he, he He's had clearly a just telling a story, story to tell. Yeah. And, and maybe he, you know, trying to fit rhyme structures perfectly, you would have lost a little bit of that. Yeah. I still think it was incredibly well done. Um, and also, I like the music in the background. So in general, I'm, I'm in his world. Yeah, and then like the transitionary piece where he goes and you know uh, my older brother's funny too but I haven't seen him in a minute though I'm paraphrasing a little bit but he, he says those lines and there's a pause and then the song shifts into the, the kind of 
more upbeat, kind of lighter tone. And then he starts singing about his older brother. And something that's following the even... hook, but the hook is actually the part in which the instrumentation changes. Correct. And that sets the stage just like the intro set the stage for what the verse was going to be, while the hook sets the stage for what verse two is going to be. The hook is just in case of rough waters, I want to put one up for my brothers. And then verse two, the second brother. Um, this we... is a lot, first of all, the music here is a little bit more scattered. It's mm-hmm. a lot more, but it actually kind of, kind of brought more lighthearted air to it. I, I don't know. It, it's. Maybe I see Scattered as energetic at this point because his thinner tracks have been so so dour. Sure. I, yeah, I can see that. And also, I think... It's a very different story. I mean, you get us... I, I, re- I think what I really want to harp on is you really get a sense of individuality based on the lyrical flow and instrumentation of this track about his brothers. And actually, that individuality plays a big time in the second story we get in verse 2, which is about his older brother actually defying his very Christian mother to go s- to want to go see uh, Ministry, a uh, heavy metal band. Yeah. And she, uh, looking into it, reading a few taglines, finds out that they are a, a, a cult. At one point, she calls it. it it's, it's, she kind of makes that sort of snap decision. A lot of parents will. Um, when when looking at something a kid likes that seems to go against what they're supposed to like in yeah. a lot of ways. And his brother cries out, this is something I'm willing to die for. It's like one of those defining moments that you get growing up where you see the ability to buck the system, the yeah. ability to actually be defiant towards you know the sources of, of control and power in your life. And you know, the second you actually say that to the parent, like, that's the, the deal that's, is closed. That's the part where yeah. you're, you're done. I would die you're for done. this? Go uh, no. Go to bed. You're, well, you're grounded. But also what I like is there's a the, – the shift in instrumentation, I think, also backs Aesop's kind of admi- – the way he admired his older brother for that moment and what he did and how he was. And you get a sense of that from the instrumentation and, again, the story itself. And I like that, too, that perspective shift. Whereas in the first track, it was more an observation, a story, maybe a little bit of hesitance and fear because the story is just so ridiculous. Whereas here, it's kind of this pride, this, this you know, he's very proud of his older brother who he doesn't see as much clearly from what he said and that he wants to talk to more and that this is a moment he looks back on fondly. And I think that's really, you know, again, th- this... Thematically, for a song, I think is really strong just because all the pieces come together really well. Stuff like this has be done, been done before if you pull it apart, but for sure, in this specific, um, you know, collaboration of stuff, it feels very unique and, and really engaging, and I enjoy it a lot. It's one of my favorites, for sure. Yeah, and I can see why. I mean, it's... it's I will only just interject to say that I think personal tracks like this, and because he maybe sacrificed just a little bit of flow, I think we got more of the story. Mm-hmm. And when I get more of the story, I feel more like I'm reading. Like it's interesting. He's an interesting person. The music itself was not. I don't. It, I wouldn't say it was one of my favorite tracks because mm-hmm. I, I feel like the integration is usually when he's best. And that's. But what I, I think it was said. necessary for the album. And I, that's what I was saying from the beginning of this track. That this was the first time that it. it felt like it was going back to relying on the words to tell the story instead of allowing the very very textured nature of the music itself yeah like i can't really set the scene even considering like unfortunately here there was an unbalance because the lyrics themselves 
are telling the story and they are being precise. The music is less precise. Like, I don't feel the brother A or brother B because of the music. I only feel it from, like, the, the music feels merely present. Uh, I, I disagree just because of the shift, but if But you, just if because of the really... shift merely tells you that they are two separate brothers. I disagree because you, the you first already brother... know these brothers so well that you can you can attach. No, I just would say that you can at least tell they're different because the music is different and and it's not. That's slightly exactly different. my point. Okay. That alone is doesn't say very much. I guess and I don't know. You could smash two songs together. I you'd think, have two brothers. I I think that mixed with everything else is why it's as powerful for me. I I hear what you're saying, looking at the music by itself, but that's not what you're supposed to do here. You're uh, you're supposed to pull it all together, and I think you're focusing too much on don't one. Tell thing. me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what to do, damn it. All right, let's move on. I'm going to gonna tell a. you to go on a track A. Get out of the car. This one is another one of my favorites on the album because it's another one of those really personal uh, songs. This is him just full-fledged berating himself. Full-fledged, another one of those self-recriminations, really fighting against a lot of the things he perceives in his life as his shortcomings, as his failures. And I love... I think this is a Turning 40 album. <laughs> yeah, in many ways, I think, yeah, you're you're absolutely 100% correct. Mm. That this is one of those, maybe not Turning 40, maybe not, you know, a stereotypical midlife crisis, but more of a, well, let's be honest, how many rappers do we know are still making music at 40 years old in rap? Many of them drop out. It's true. It's, um, this is this is the first time this genre really has the ability to have people who have been with the scene long enough to get like quote unquote old. So now we're actually getting quote unquote old rappers. I, it it hurts me a lot that you consider forty old. Well, when you're talking about uh, the average music scene being more in the age of the 20s, no, I as guess opposed I hear what you're saying. 30s just, and 40s and 50s. Someone who's fat, fast approaching I mean, mid-30s. Well, it, it is true, though, that the oldest rappers you'd find would have to be, like, probably no more than 55. Sure, because, um, I mean, just by nature just of how long the genre's been genre, around. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, and less, certainly. Well, that terrifies me at the thought that Buster Rhymes, who's putting out new music currently might be over 50. Like, he might actually be over 50, and that's bizarre to me. Yeah, well... <laughs> to think about... Ice-T's pretty old, right? Oh, yeah, well, he's been around forever, but he yeah. still does everything. I mean, he's yeah. on TV, he makes death metal, he makes rap. That's what I'm saying. I know that they exist. I <laughs> yeah, know yeah. we see them, but they're... I mean, Ice Cube mostly just made... makes movies now, but, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, I, I also what I like about this song a lot is that it's kind of very matter-of-fact. You know, it's, there's only one verse. There's no hook. There's no second verse. It's literally all condensed into one verse. It's only a minute and 53 seconds. So that, like, being matter-of-fact and being on the shorter side very much reminds me of a lot of years because it, it just feels similar for those reasons. Beyond that, it is very much its own thing, though. But its own thing is not very complicated, and I think yeah. it's really... It, it does feel like it has that sort of desolation of somebody sitting in a car yelling at himself. Not driving, not going anywhere, but sitting outside of a place he needs to go into to do something with. Well, this is a case also where artistic, um, the artistic vision of this track and the way it's structured, yeah, it reflects it. Maybe it may not be the most enjoyable as a result. I put it very much in the same uh, ballpark as the last track, in, in at least in my view of this album. It doesn't make it any less of a, of a great concept. For instance, the music here, it's very simple, but it has one simple thing going for it, and 
and it really, really works with the thought. The fact that it never really resolves. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it feels like this track is in E minor, but it never really resolves to E. It just, we end on the fifth, we end on B, and it's just that constant suspension of feeling like we need to be pulled down to E. There needs to be something in this track that resolves, but nothing resolves because the content is all about unresolved things. The opening line, been a bit since Moo died, been a lot more loss in the wake. You know, it's just the thinking of people and thinking of all the things that have happened since then. Uh, he continues, I recall thinking someday someone's going to say that it's all from the same cause and effect, and I just couldn't fathom blaming a whole new page on a made-up chain reaction. So, you can't, like, it's, he's, he's against revisionism, I suppose. It's like, there's nothing good to be gleaned from this. They were bad things, they still stick with me. Uh, time does not heal all wounds. It's the general sense I get from this, which is why I feel it's just, it, it's why it's structured as a run-on sentence, and that's why the music never makes any motion toward making you feel satisfied or anything of the like. And that lack of resolution, I think, plays really well into track nine, Shrunk, because it's this idea of kind of dealing with your inner demons and scolding yourself and sitting outside, like John said before, sitting outside of something that you have to do while going to therapy for the first time could feel, can feel forced or can feel conflicting, you know, and so the, the, I think that kind of link that I didn't really get until we kind of described it that way is, is really perfect. Yeah, Trek 9 Shrunk is really, even as good as I love Shrunk, and Shrunk is probably third on the album for me <laughs> as, far as, as, as far as lyrics go, especially, it's even better because Get Out of the Car is really a preamble for this actually quite weighted idea that comes up in Shrunk. Because Shrunk, it's it's the first step to trying to make yourself better. This is his first step to trying to get over Moo, the death of Moo, which Moo is a friend of his that died uh, eight, ten years ago or something to that effect. He was a friend. He was a fellow rapper. They were on the same label. They never really, he never really got over Moo's death. Shrunk is the seems to be the first major step to actually being better, to actually yeah. starting to get Getting over not just Not just Moo's death, but all the things that bother him, all the things that have sort of been his inner demons his entire life. So let's get it out in the open. What is shrunk? Well, that would be, I guess, his own made-up past participle for going to a shrink. Yeah, which is... Um, once you've gone to a shrink, you've been shrunk. Yeah. It's, uh, I find that clever. It is clever. And I think these are some of the most clever lyrics on the record because it's the way he delivers them. Like, it's funny. I listened to this track and it kind of washed over me. And then John yelled at me while we were listening again today to read along with the lyrics. And it's absolutely true. When you listen to this song, if you haven't listened yet and you're doing in tandem with us, absolutely pause us, listen to the track, but also read along because it just gives an impact to the lyrics that you'll lose if you're not reading them or you could miss. My first name is a random set of numbers and letters and other alphanumerics that change hourly forever. My last name, a thousand vowels fading down a sinkhole into a Ciceres, couldn't just be John Doe or Bingo. My address, a made-up language written out in living glyphs lifted from a demonic literature and religious text, telephone uncovered by purveyors of a Ouija, then checked against the CBGB woman's room graffiti. My social, a Sudoku. My age is obscure. My in case of emergency is the daisies chasing birds. These are hard for me to even read. Yeah. 
if you I don't read know, aloud, at least if you if you go to the outtakes, we might actually hear some of my fluffs on this one because he's he's got the most imagination I've ever heard for filling out a basic health insurance form. Yeah, like this is the a month this again. This, filling in we name cited and this number. earlier. Yeah. You know, he, he takes a mundane one. task and adds an interesting spin to it that really pulls Presumably you in. Presumably at the in the waiting room for for his therapist. Yeah, um, especially when it ends up with. I'm burger meat and purple pills here. Thank you. We'll call your name. Sure, you will. Yeah, Just like this dismissiveness. Like, yeah. you you can tell there's hesitation. Which is here. funny because all right, we said we said at the outset he's he's this is a, a step toward getting better. Sure. But of course, in doing so, he has to be a smart Alec. He has to. Yeah, because, of course. Well, when you have when you have this this kind of mind and that kind of term, turn of phrase, you're going to see the world. Like like this, and yeah. and it, something as simple as a form can be transformed to this kind of like Alice in Wonderland uh, sinkhole, as he called. You just you're just spiraling down with him, and every little thing is a joke. Every little thing is a slight or a jab. It's uh, it's it's really pretty clever. And honestly, this is one of those tracks I, I really just love for the wordsmithing itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I look past the music here, and what I like also is that it again we're back to a place where he's very heavily internalized, but he's also kind of approaching therapy from a place of he's. He's hesitant, but he ultimately confronts it, and and there's sort of a resolution. And it, it's just it feels very personal in a kind of very clever and unique way, which I like. I, I love the fact that it's not even like a resolution sure. at the end or anything like that. Because first verse, he, he's just trying to make the the form feeling fantastical because his imagination is just rampant. And then verse two is him, as he puts it. You pack up all your manias, you're sitting in the waiting room, you're dreaming of Arcadia, you're feeling like a baby tooth. He's he's just sitting there stewing yeah. in all the things that that are supposed to come up in being psychoanalyzed and everything like that. And then verse three, he's going back and forth. She says, I'm not your enemy. I said, that sounds like something my enemy would say. Instead of playing off the chemistry, she said, you're being difficult. He's, he's yeah. directly conflicting yeah. with the shrink. He's directly actually antagonizing her. To the point where he, he, like, obviously he's being just downright rude until the end. Will you be leaving another appointment? Absolutely. I'm shrunk. Yeah. Like, it's not even acceptance or anything like that. It's, it's just the it's knowledge. Just like, yeah, it's that he obvious. he knows he needs it. Yeah, it's, it's obvious it's, at that this moment. This is also another case of, uh, of, of noticing little little subtle changes in the in the hooks themselves, if mm -hmm. we're going to call that the hook. You noticed a few, like, on earlier tracks, Matt, but this is another one where you have, like, the first, first hook, skipped lunch, I'm shrunk. Second hook, the fuck, I'm shrunk. Yeah. Third hook, absolutely. I'm, I'm shrunk. shrunk. Yeah. And progressive courses, I always like. I mean, I noticed them the most in rap. I know they exist in other places, but a lot of my favorite rappers do it. I mean, one of the things I talked about a ton on Sick Passenger by Schaefer the Dark Lord, because I wouldn't miss an opportunity to bring that album up, is that he does that a lot. He, he lets those, those tracks evolve from chorus to chorus, or hook to hook, as we're calling it. And well, I, it, I enjoy it here, too. One of the things that it does is it doesn't kind of give away the story in the in the beginning. Yeah. You know, if you have a, a chorus that remains stagnant, then very often by the time you get to that chorus, it's like I know what the song is about. And it's then like the summarizing it before the yeah, song's Yeah, and then concluded. the following verses and the following choruses are just kind of like hammering the same point home, and that would be, you know, not utilizing your space. But in this case, you have a progression of antagonism to finally acceptance, and you see that in the choruses themselves, explaining it quite simply. Absolutely, I'm shrunk. I will be needing another appointment. Um, and from there, he starts singing about his cat. 
So track 10 is Kirby. <laughs> and this one structurally has a familiar feel to me, I think, to Mystery Fish, as it's just kind of stuff, like around and happening. But this this has an overarching theme. Instead of just generally being about where he lived here, this is very clearly about his cat. No, no, not very clearly in verse 2. <laughs> That's true. Verse one, I didn't even figure out to verse 2. Verse At first one, I was like, it's a fantastical beast, maybe? Okay, but first that's of all, thing. first of it's all, I gotta say, done. everybody makes up a song for their cat. Everyone, if you have a cat, you make up a song for me. It's a song that is for that cat. You only well, sing it to that cat, and only the, the cat understands, and they know well, when you're singing because it. Because cats rule humans. It's not exactly. the other way around, and so these so really are they, appeasements to our, our higher gods. They commissioned us to write them. Exactly. Really what happened. exactly. Hey, Kirby. What you doing, Kirby? What you doing now? This is dazed vocals that are even not quite in pitch, but just the choir dazed yeah. nature of it. It's very baritone, and there's something about this, this tone here, that really reminds me of, of the, the vocalists who were on TV on the radio, especially from their first album, when they really utilized that baritone. Uh, Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes, I have advertised this album since the beginning of the podcast, and I will do it till the end of time. It's a wonderful <laughs> album, and mainly because of just that tone. Sounding dazed at the same time, it, it's, it's captivating. I don't get it. And it sounds like uh, so many times that I've actually talked to one of my various pets over the years. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it's, it, the, the, like it's, it's that moment of, what are you doing? Uh, Matt, come here, Max. Come here. Come here. Yeah, exactly. what, are, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? doing? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you Did saying? you do that? <laughs> but, but what I like about the track is how playful it comes across. <laughs> Clearly, he loves his cat. And, you know, the playful nature of even that hook that Steve was citing before to the actual... Versus, it's just you know, it's kind of a oh kind of moment, well, which, which was hammer, nice to let's get. Hammer home why, of course, we were not, we were a little confused as of you know simply hearing the hook, and then even as of the first verse, hobgoblin, shots of hot stronged, uh, vaccine queen, deemed church socks hostage, nine weeks awesome, hides in a slipper, look in her eye like she might be a wizard, cold met a cat lady in a parking lot, she got the heroes of tomorrow in a cardboard box, and probably hoarding forty more in the corners of Fort Knox, swap twenty on the spot and cop the war. Back at the haunt, found God in the hamper, briefs on her head, playing walk with a panther, good around misery and golden era samplers, jeopardy and wheel at the heels of her handlers. Bet more than a pet to the worship, it's an MD recommended sense of purpose. Here to bat around keys and means to euphoria, soon to be hailed the greatest of all warriors. Yeah. Like the first time, it's very fantastic. You get such a sense that you don't, but then it's like you revisit. And it's like, oh, 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 yeah, you know, duh. hides in a slipper. Why? Why didn't I get well, that? There's the yeah, yeah. You get it now, but yeah. it's only verse two that when he starts introducing some other things that it really starts to hit home. Homie, don't fetch. Only woke to stretch under a thought bubble rich with bowls of gold fish. Skittish in the company of stranger danger. Otherwise, chase drawstrings, tails, and lasers. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah at yeah, this yeah. point, you're just like, ah, oh, stupid. Yeah, but it's such... It really is beautiful imagery. Well, yeah, it really is just fantastical. I love the way he phrases this stuff. And again, as I said earlier in the, you know, when we first started talking about the track, I like it because it's playful and it's unlike everything that come before. Like we get a breather here towards the tail end of the record where you get a moment of just seeing something delightful inside his head. And once again, of course, we have a little bit of a narrative here that doesn't make sense in the very beginning. You'd only make sense at the very end. Um, why is he going on about his cat? Because at the very end, he says, Never lands on her feet, though. I think she's broken. Mauser in training, nap on the toaster. Decorate her cubicle with dogs playing poker. Fifteen years taking prescriptions. Now a shrink like, I don't know, maybe get a kitten. Yeah. It was suggested. It was yeah. as something to help out all of the crap 
from earlier. Yeah, and so it's still connected. Yeah. Which, honestly... And apparently it's working, a little bit of, you know, happiness in his life. Maybe yeah. this song really should have been in a major. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, and now we move on to TUFF. T-U-F-F in all caps. And from the minute it starts instrumentally, I get this kind of... I don't want to say off-putting, but it's definitely a little quirky feeling. It feels a little odd. You know, the tones here are don't feel like they fit together perfectly. It seems a little strange. And I'm not quite sure why, but I'm going with it. You know, I... And it's it's definitely delivering differently than Kirby was, where it was kind of just happy-go-lucky-ish, even though it wasn't a major. Well, yeah, the music here is goofy, but yeah, yeah it's, it's still you know it's still dwelling in its own way. I I, I will say that it, at this point, I kind of am starting to understand his his musical like he his ideas are just stagnating a little bit on the musical front. I still enjoy them, but I enjoy them in the same way. I'm not really getting something new. Um, uh, the only thing here that was kind of like I was into was the back and forth, like octave work. Like that was the silliest part, and I was enjoying that 100%. Still, that that's kind of a simple idea. Yeah, this song is essentially he's saying it's coming from this place of feeling a little unhinged or off the rails, you know, and, you know, I get a sense of that now knowing and having read that that's more or less what this track is supposed to emblemize. The kind of what was quirky can also seem a little unhinged. The track's also really dense lyrically. Probably the most lyrically dense track we've gotten. And well, most syllables per second. I, is there is there like an actual way to I mean, we have beats per minute and things like yeah. that. Can we get can we get letters per second? <laughs> but it's, yeah, a lot. Being a lot said. here. And what I like though is that even though it feels kind of like this overwhelming paragraph, the fact that it's supposed to feel a little unhinged again, that also still kind of all works together to convey the kind of scene work here that he's trying to put forth. All that said, um, musically, I feel like this track. You know, because I wasn't going into great detail about it before. This track instrumentally feels more repetitive than previous tracks. Um, while that may be intentional, it's grating on me a little bit just because there was so much fun or interesting or bizarre things that were being done before that were creating dissonance or creating a great groove here. Well, I, I do. I, of... I do believe that little octave thing. Like, it's a great groove, and I don't want to. I, I want to. I don't want to overstate what I said before about you know the fact that he's his ideas are stagnating here. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's because of our perception in the course of an album. Again, if you look back at some of our reviews, this tends to happen around our two third mark yeah. as we're through the album, because then we're starting to notice the artist's tricks, and then we, when we're describing the same things, we can say, all right, well, that's great for consistency's sake. Um, and of course, when we're sitting here in a full blown discussion at this point we're probably so far in the discussion that if we were actually just sit, listening to the album over the course of this time it would be over already right so it's we like talk longer about the yeah. album than the album in which case is. you know maybe you wouldn't have actually gotten bored and you'd still say hey that's a great musical idea and it would be as, as simple as that so i don't want to i don't want to like i don't want to drag it down for that well yeah um, again i'm not uh, when i say that it, it, it's grating on me a little bit i think just by comparison to everything we'd gotten before i think it's you're right it's falling into its kind of its own tricks which are still great tricks but I'm having a lot of the issues I got in the first track showing up here again. While I love the just the speed, the density, and the imagery of this track, lyrically, he's going a little bit too too far with how much he's throwing in there. He's getting a little bit overindulgent because I think this I is can't the, parse out a lot of what's going on right here. This is where we discovered, where we may have finally discovered the fact. I mean, he was abstract earlier, but this time we're fail, failing a little bit, and this may be part of the critiques that were lodged against him. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot going on, 
and even going line by line trying to parse out everything that he's saying, the best I can say is he's kind of reflecting upon his past self, which has been a lot of this album, so I don't know why it's just so heavily veiled here. There's there's just so much. Some lines just just really show up and show out how, how solid they are, but I don't know how to take some of the other things. Horse hoof in the dog's mouth, cholera in the well, make money periodically vomiting on himself. Irene Nat GL craft and crack geodes, lift party hats out of the craft depot. Unleaded liar blood pumped through his neck, came down from the mountain tough with two Fs. Okay, uh, who's, well, that's <laughs> who's him? What's with the horse hoof in the dog's mouth? I don't. I don't get that. I think. At I think all. I just discovered. Look, that that's that's a little bit of the problem here. Like, it's okay. It's still very interesting. It's still very colorful. But he he does have a tendency to describe all of the components of a personality that has not been pinpointed yet. That hasn't been like the subject has not been established. You have to go through all of the variety of things that we weren't there for in order to kind of paint the picture of the person that's finally named. I don't know. I, and, I, you and can, you can say, thing. all right, well, here's that's descriptive, thing, but his just his descriptions sometimes are weird. It's it's the fact that it goes back and forth between third person and first person that I don't think there's just one person going on here, or maybe he's regarding his past self as his as different than his present self. But at the same time, why would it be? I read Nat Geo craft and crack geodes. Like, why why is he going back and forth, still talking in the past in a lot of ways? It's. There's a disassociation going on right here that makes it really hard to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and there could be something we're missing, but I don't know. This is something that doesn't pop out about this track, except that well, maybe that's the problem, is that when each line pops out at you with, like, that's a new thing, that's a new thing, then the result is the whole track kind of blurs together. Um, so, all right, I guess that's our opinion of track 11. Let's go to track 12, Lazy Eye. Um... Well, I can say that some things are good, and of course you know what they are. We get a great B-flat minor funk bass coming back. <laughs> uh, always great. Kind of, actually, even before that, there's like this opening game sound bite. Uh, just straight up this time, not even like, you know, uh, false illusion or, you know, yeah. you'll have to take my word for it. It's a, it's it's an 8-bit video game sound bite. I even, it's probably a direct sample. I wish I knew the exact one. Um, but that's what ushers in this particular track. And then from there on, it... I like the instrumentation here. It's very chaotic. Everything just kind of reacts against each other, and, and it, it, it flows really, really well. So I could still get down with this. It feels kind of hyper in a sense, you know, like someone hopped up on too much sugar or really excited about something. Yeah. And I get a sense of that because this song is actually was written, according to Aesop Rock, after he had a conversation with Chuck D of Public Enemy, who I am assuming is a huge influence to him. Mm-hmm. And um, it even has a bit of that phone call or voicemail, whatever the, the actual conversation was, in the track. And so I get a sense emotionally of this track is feeling like and structured like someone who's super overexcited to meet their hero. And, you know, it's not obvious. I think I'm taking that information that was given to us from Aesop and, and kind of imprinting it on the track. And in that case, I would also say that I don't think the music 100% matches that to me. Like, sure. I, it would be my the same critique that I had back in the um, uh, in the track involving the two brothers, where I feel it's not 100%, like, it doesn't match, and it doesn't really feel like, I don't really get excitement. It feels merely chaotic. But then again, he's been pretty consistent, I guess, in using chaos to, to, to mean anything that's even remotely... Uh, exciting or or heartwarming like the cat track (laughs) yeah i like kirby i don't know well i think also structurally the song 
like it ends on a dime. There's no trail off or, or connection to the next track. It kind of has its own endpoint. And I wanted to jump to that just because I think when you're, at least for me personally, when I'm freaking out or anxious or excited about a thing, once I get the very strong hint that I'm being obnoxious, I will stop and shut up. And I think there, I'm maybe imprinting some personal feelings of anxiety and meeting my heroes onto this. But that's at least where I see it coming from right, structurally. Well, if, you, if you take just from the hook, of course, the hook is act natural, whatever that means for you. Whatever that means for you, whatever that means for you, act natural. I mean, this is the kind of phrase, it's like people telling you, be yourself. You know, right. it's so, It doesn't help. It doesn't, well, it, doesn't, it certainly doesn't help if you think that you've been yourself. Like, yeah. it's kind of a ridiculous statement. Um, you know, maybe you shouldn't be yourself. You know, <laughs> go to therapy so you can try to be someone else. And then they try to bring yourself out, and then you get another therapist because they're not doing it right. I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous stuff like that that I, I have a feeling it's why he includes that dismissive line, whatever that means for you. Yeah. Unless being, you know, act natural is just what is, is the best case scenario, even though it's a really vague way of saying it. I think the, the, we were being a little too, you know, uh, we're honing too much in the fact that it's following the phone call with, you know, his, 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 uh, his idols. I don't think that's necessarily the point of this. It's ble- it may be just a point of consideration. Like, that is, you know, for instance, one earlier, he says, mulling over the Chuck D telling me, diversify. I'm at the supercut, souping up the wardrobe, forecast looking like Ganesh on the four phones, hello, 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 base camp, base camp, base in your face, fuck, brace for the rain dance, back in the back of your classroom after a magical nap in a vacuum. It's, it's just little things that he thinks, maybe pieces of advice that people tell you, well, and then you start analyzing your life as result it's not necessarily a a direct like you know it's certainly not fawning no of course he said when he referring to this track he said this was written after that conversation so it inspired the track whether it's necessarily about it no but he cites that it definitely was an inspiration to the track i can't even tell if he necessarily said act natural (laughs) right and i have to say though i love just even from the first lines like this whole idea of just dealing with shit because he starts off just explaining that he really has a lot to deal with just even from the physical point of view my spirit animal comes with a pretzel bun troll of the treadmill record of the kessel run allegedly edgy from the 11 z's to mega bucks techies with the treble down this is how we level up i love the line my spirit animal comes with a pretzel bun just the idea of yeah okay troll of the treadmill just yeah, he's trying to get fit. Maybe maybe he really is, but he's sitting there, you know, Cinnabon yeah. style, still eating as he's working out to get better. Later reference, started eating kale and came to terms with my lazy eye. Like, yeah, he's dealing with his shit. He's getting better. He's he's trying to become a better person, but there's just so much to go through. That's why yeah. it's, there's a lot going on. And, in there, and there's, there's a lot of words. There's so much to deal with. But there's also, life. and also I think I think Chuck D definitely did say act natural or at least something paraphrased because there's a sound bite coming up later where it is just flat out saying, hey, peace, Aesop, uh, it's Chuck D. Yo, man, you keep doing what you're doing. Keep rhyming through those walls, all right? You know, that so kind of is yeah. the same thing, essentially. So, yeah, it's, I, I, so far what you gather from the album in its entirety is that he, he's one of those people, and I can kind of relate to this, his mind runs in circles and yeah. will we'll, we'll make a million connections, perhaps maybe even to things he shouldn't be. You know, it's, uh, but clearly you can see from the expansive lyric, it, it gives you a lot of content, but it probably must be a little bit hell living in his mind. I would imagine you know? so. But uh, great album, though, <laughs> so far. Let's check... Uh, Check track 13, Defender. 
Hmm. So this is the first track I will safely say that I felt like it was delivering stuff we have absolutely heard already. You know, yeah. But, yeah. but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, yes, of course, the idea is you want, you want people to hit you with punch after punch. And you want things to be original and punchy and interesting. So the fact that he's in this track, you know, at least a little bit falling back on stuff we heard earlier in the album... I think is not necessarily a negative, but it's not necessarily a positive either. It's just an observation that I'm making that uh, flow and beat work, it feels familiar to what I've now parsed together is Aesop Rock's style. There's also the there's also the thing that I mentioned at the very beginning, which is continues to be a problem. And that is maybe it's just the minor feel of this album. Yeah. Like I, I think it, it, it has a subconscious effect in you. You may not think that that's like it's a minor point, huh, huh, huh. <laughs> but it you know it has a subconscious effect in you as you travel from track to track. You you get a sense that things are kind of stagnating. There's a a, a tonal even as much as the instrumentation may vary tonally, it stays kind of in the same place. And maybe that, of course, is his current mental state. I, I both like it and dislike it for that reason. Yeah, it's conflicting for sure. I think that... I don't yeah. want to diminish the comping in this right. track. I mean, that is actually pretty stellar. It's That remains interesting throughout. So Right. I think that we're at a point where we're kind of getting so familiar with him that we're in that dark place for long enough that it starts to... Like, anyone who's in that place for a long period of time, you would stagnate yourself. It's tough to kind of pull yourself out. And I think this is kind of emblematic of that a little bit maybe sure i don't know <laughs> <laughs> really well we haven't even touched all? lyrics here but the lyrics that's what's I, confusing yeah. me the there's a two-sided piece going on right here it, it seems like he's dealing with just the the psych meds he seems to have been on he makes a reference at one point to lamictal which is uh, anti-schizophrenia or something along those sorts. I don't think it's that harsh, but it's one of those stronger mind meds. Um, at the same time, he's talking about defending the block from a bobcat or <laughs> later on coyotes or later on a bear, I believe. Like, it gets kind of fantastical and almost imaginative while at the same time he's having to deal with a lot of just mental stuff, like dealing with issues themselves. Like, that's kind of the whole concept of this album as a whole, dealing with issues and how does one deal with those issues. But in many ways, he's almost making up the issues to deal with at this point in his life or this point of this album. It almost feels like a bad trip, to be honest. I mean, uh, yeah, a little bit, which I mean, I'm sure is kind of the point of also. I, I don't know. I felt like this track kind of repeated on itself a little too much comparatively to previous tracks. I do agree that the comping was really cool. But beyond that, it you know, the comping is consistent. You know, it's not yes, different. It's consistently cool, therefore, you know. You can not feel a, a little new. bit like it's repeating on itself. All right. Well, let's not repeat on ourselves and go to track 14, Water Tower. So. Vita est mort est vita. Life is death is life. <laughs> That's how it begins. It's and, and it's. A little it, Latin action. So, what I like about the synth here is it kind of has a pop to it that. Um, Again, kind of pulled me back in. It kind of separated itself from the pack. Um, the heavy tones that it's using, you know, while reminiscent of heavy tones used earlier on the record, still felt fresh enough for me. And it was actually something I did not realize that was missing in the last few tracks. The yes. dissidence of these tones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's he, the song as a whole is a very cycle of life song, as Steve pointed out very early on with what's said. And... So it kind of being a little unchanging, I'm more forgiving of because it feels like there's a point to it. It feels like it's really integral to the lyrical content and the message here. And, you know, 
we have, as Steve cited earlier, we tend to be a little harsher towards the end of an album. But I think that I was harsher upon initial listens, but on our re-listen today, I really only find that hole in part of track 12 and track 13. 14 and 15 I really enjoy, especially now seeing a structure for the theme and seeing a structure for the arc and really kind of getting sucked into this world of Aesop Rock and the Impossible Kid, which sounds like a great children's story. You know, like in the Harry Potter vein. And the Impossible Kid, it does. This would be a great children's story with a little bit less cursing. And <laughs> maybe a little more Seuss thrown in there, here and there. This track, this track is a late gem for the yeah. album that was starting to get a little bit stagnant. Because like I said, the dissidence is back and I did not know I missed it so much until I heard this piece. I needed it because what goes on here with a lot of life and death imagery going on and a lot of like morbidity going on it needed that dissonance to really get the point across to really get the imagery to be as strong as it is it's another one of those tracks though that also is a little more nebulous and i like it for that yeah it doesn't really try to saddle you down with any specific like pieces specific like uh, just concrete facts it's more just uh, a flow of thoughts that that does a lot to expunge upon beauty and everything like that in death and mortality and blah 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 and a lot of really pretentious things that actually work very well here but i also like that the repetition of the hook in this track is you know we talk about repeated hooks in other uh, albums and how they can be grading, but I feel like here because he puts so much personality into everything he says that the repeated chorus just kind of feels like a rallying cry, almost like he's trying to rally himself, not necessarily trying to rally anyone else, but he's trying to pick himself up by his bootstraps almost. Yeah, I don't really get the sense that a lot of this is, I mean, I think he does it for himself. Yeah. Um, and even the lyrics, even though of course they are personal because they, they came from his mind, it is his turn of phrase and there's no one else is quite like that, but he, his stamp is the effusive and that's what John was talking about is that a lot of these things I don't think it's pretentious it's just it does come across as very effusive and I like effusive writing disciple of the cycles and sciences of birth into fertilized hyacinth life into vitamins invited up to cypresses a testament to moxie and the miracle of lifelessness it's still amazing amazing poetry um I think I'm gonna leave it at that the the poetry I, I becomes more important as the album progresses for sure. Even though I I thought uh, it was more on equal ground with the music at the beginning. So let's finish it off with Molecules Track 15. Oh, there's some crazy scale runs at the beginning. So yeah. at least I get my final little music point in. And also in this track, the bass part is is phenomenal because it, it's it's just these rapid triplets, just this constant. It's it's it's. I mean, that's impossible. And he says that's impossible in the beginning of the track. <laughs> yeah. So he knows. Uh, he knows. He knows it. Um, yeah, here we get a track kind of about displacement and not feeling like you have a home. And I mean, I, what I like about what we were able to find online is he's very vocal about what these songs, either where he was when he wrote them or what they meant to him. And I have a love-hate relationship with that. And I'll get more into that in our wrap-up. But I think it's ultimately it is nice to be able to cite things the artist specifically said the tracks meant because it gives you a bigger picture hmm. um i i like the verses here but i think i enjoy the choruses more his choruses here i'm calling them choruses instead of hooks even though i guess it's interchangeable yeah, well this, this is sort more of, of a chorus but sure it's very sing-songy and i like that you know he hasn't done a ton of that on the record um you know only a few tracks and so it was a breath of fresh air here to kind of wrap up the album 
It also is a kind of a mission statement. You know, these awful winds, those grinding gears, this pile of bones, that's why I'm here, wild frontier. These violent drums, those primal fears, this pool of mud, that's why I'm here, wild frontier. As, as that's the landscape of, of the rap community at the point. That's the, the artistic landscape. And between these hooks and the fact, just the content of the verses themselves, there's a lot of fatalism going on right here, which I'm really enjoying. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the end of the album being portrayed as the end of an era, the the, the final mission statement, the, the last gasp of, of creativity and freedom and all those sort of things that should be pretentious, even, but really e- aren't. They're not. <laughs> well, even just the title of the track, Molecules, the basest components, you know, of art itself. Yeah, it's, it's breaking it down to its building blocks, and I think that's what this song is trying to do, maybe even the album as a whole, which I think is actually, you know, quite clever. And this idea that you want to break... he I mean, there are quite a few moments where he breaks rap music down to its basic components, even tearing it down. We, we cited that. And so I think that, um, you know, it's really a great way to kind of wrap up the uh, album. All said and done, and here's where I'll jump into it because I was finally the last one on the not going first thing. <laughs> All said and done, this album... Matt said he wasn't going to bring it on, and this was before that we were suggested this, and I want to think back and go, Matt, that would have been a terrible choice to not bring this on, because this is a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great story, and it does a lot of things that I don't expect rap to do, which is weird, because this guy's been around for forever, so shouldn't he be the most boring of rappers? And you're welcome, Star F, because you get to ride that glory as we wrap this album up that mm. I denied myself, so. But seriously, thank you for recommending it. He, he should be boring. Because this is, there's a lot of old throwback ideas going on right here, especially in the actual word pre- especially in the actual wordplay and his pronunciation and enunciation and the way he states his rap. It is old school. It really is a a style that's been around for a very long time. But he's perfected it. On the flip side, the music being very innovative and very. Like, setting bass is so great because it's something that really is devoid in modern-day rap in many ways. It's something that was around, and my my old-school raps that I love were, like, Beastie Boys. I love that. I love that texture that's associated with it. But it wasn't done this way. It was done, it was done differently here. It's A lot of the setting was present in... in wildly different genres and wildly different songs that we reviewed like Ghost Grinder comes to mind uh, from Steam Power Giraffe episode that was episode 72 their album Mark 3 it's that track was all about the ambience and it was very much a texture heavy track it wasn't the best on the album not by any stretch but it was reliant upon that well here in many ways, he decides to take a step back and away from the standard ideas of painting a picture with your words, and instead, he actually relies upon the music to paint the picture while using the imagery of his words to color in the fine details, which is just beautiful. It's great. I love it. There's a lot of words. And I think that's where, actually, I have to take a step back and go, sometimes he goes too far. And I understand why his critics have said... He gets too abstract. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. When you start talking poetry, and this is this is poetry, 
it's great to have the imagery to it's great to have metaphors that make you think and to really delve into some esoteric ideas and have to do research but it's sometimes just hard to follow along and I, I, I get challenged by that but at the same time I don't want to have to follow along with some of this stuff it's 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 too much in in some places and it just becomes a bit of a chore and then there's the fact that the the I guess the third quarter of the album it's not it's not the first half the first half is just amazing throughout and the last little bit of the album is is really great but there's a little bit too much simplicity in a lot of the music in in places here and there mostly in that that third quarter of the album that kind of draws away from me where it became reliant on the lyrics to paint the picture it started to fall into habits of using a lot of very similar beats and it being in minor uh, me and Steve discussed this off air but it always being in minor made it feel like a lot of things were repeating when they may not have been we discussed it on and off air <laughs> yeah uh, but we got into it a lot off yeah. air that by by keeping the instrumentation fresh and new but keeping everything in minor it, it it felt like it was dragging on at bits because it felt like oh was this again oh was that again that and a lot of the movements are the same throughout the album, musically. It, it doesn't really change too much in do something simple, have a little bit of an explosion, do it more complicated, have a little bit more of an explosion. And that's like it. Very standard shifts, very standard layers for the album, where it's just doing the same things again, which are good. But they're not sustainable when you're talking about 15 tracks. So for for this, this is it's a four point five. It's not it's not phenomenal in every way it needs to be to be a phenomenal track. Uh, it's mostly the words themselves that I'm really just enticed and loving on this album, and a lot of the music is really really good. But I also know at the same time, you can get so much more complicated with music for rap without even, you know, delving past just what a live band could do, let alone when you start working with Synthesizer like he was. You can get so complicated and yet still not take away from the words themselves that it's 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 not above a 4.5, but it is a 4.5, solidly, through and through. Okay, so first a note on, uh, on the minor point, <laughs> that it is in minor. I would hate that to be the uh, the grand summating statement on the end of this album. Um, it almost rings true to uh, what the what the Emperor of Austria said in Amadeus: "Too many notes." <laughs> like you know, it just doesn't quite feel substantial. You know, too many minor tracks. Um, I, and I like minor. I think I've discussed this several times on uh, on air about how minor are right, as much as probably fifty percent of music is minor and or major. Of course, you have the modes as well, but still. There is a reason why I think tracks that are in minor that feel a little bit sad, like, they're more interesting, and they do tend to open up more doors because of the fact that sadness in general is more interesting. I know that's that sounds horrible, but it really is more interesting. That's why we write so many tragedies and dramas, is because there's a story there. Um... I, I had a professor who once told me a happy family is his happy family, and then you don't really want to know them. They're not very, they're pretty dull. Uh, sad family, ooh, there's a story there, and you want to get the dirt. Um, 
this this album, there's so much dirt on this guy, and he's very upfront about it, and I appreciate it. And it's why, actually, I think there is a consistency here in the fact that he has chosen to kind of keep it minor. If I had to critique it, if I was going to explain that a little further, it is kind of what John said. And that's that... He, in, in making it a bit more complex, I would have liked to see more form variances, and that is the thing that is very rarely done uh, in rap albums, is that as we progress from uh, section to section, you don't often see a lot of movement, a lot of chordal movement. It does tend to be that the, the, the core, you know, the core beat, the core structure stays as, as a loop, and that's basically it. And this is not nearly that 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 simple. I do think it, it, it retrospectively maybe got a little simpler as the album progressed, but I maintain that the first five, six tracks of this album keep me thoroughly interested uh, from a, a, a musical perspective, let alone the lyrics, I'll get to that in a minute, but from music standpoint, he is incredibly diverse, and he offers a lot of other things, including different types of instrumentation. So what if he doesn't change the form very much? The form is alright, it's it's standard rap form. This is what you're looking at with alt-hip-hop in general. Uh, so far I'm led to believe that I really like alt-hip-hop. I guess I'm really new to the genre, you, you kind of need to be in a niche and know people like Star F, with great taste in music to expose people to this particular side of hip-hop um, because clearly I see a lot of things it has going for it. Number one being when he has an emotion to convey, it will be reflected. Number two being that when he has a message to convey, you will get more than what you bargained for. This as poetry could stand alone. This largely until the end of the album as music could stand alone. Every element is pretty much here except for the form. Um, and then I guess that leaves the thing that John mentioned. Uh, the only times where he really fails me lyrically is the times in which he, not when he gets effusive, but rather when he starts talking about personal references. Not the references, like literary references. In that case, I maintain the argument I started back in Yugen, even though it wasn't concerned literary references there, but still, I am more interested and I like catching new things every single time I go back. Um, but for the, the, the personal things here, sometimes it just, it just does seem a little bit like a ramble, even when the poetry is completely up to snuff. And that really does start happening from about the halfway point Point on. There are some tracks that are a little bit more clear-cut, and then other tracks which are just... I'm looking for that one thing to latch onto, and I, I, I did lose that at about the halfway mark. The first half of this album is relatively perfect. Um... I really was toying around with the exact same rating. I think it is it is clearly... A, it, it has to be in the upper echelon for all of the reasons that I just said, but there is something that just keeps this from moving up into the upper upper echelon, whatever the hell that's worth. Um, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I guess it's probably one of the things that I just mentioned. I just can't really, I can't work out exactly which one is more important to me at the moment. I just know that it is at least a 4.5, and for the moment, I think I'm going to keep it there. I may have had to have more, more, simply more quantity of tracks that perk my ears the way the first five tracks did. Final point, as John said, this album should be boring. This guy should be boring. It we've had I've seen a lot of albums where guys at 40 start looking back and kind of glorification. This is not glorification. It's a complex story that makes you really really empathize with the artist in question and he does that purely through poetry. Well, not purely, equally through the music. Um and I can't say I've ever really witnessed that before. So I think it's very fitting that I give this the same rating that I gave Stephen Wilson's album. It's a brilliant theme or rather made brilliant with only some flaws in storytelling. 
All right, on to me. Um, so, first of all, um, following my obsession with Blurryface, and that clearly me and Star F are in the same place there, and the fact that this album piqued my interest and that I almost chose it but didn't, um, I've connected pretty strong to this album. I think that for me, I absolutely hear the, the minor negatives that Steve and John have both cited. Um, I even felt them in tracks and cited it when we were, you know, doing our review. You know, track 12 and track 13 felt like kind of a hole for me. But that said, not as deep a hole as other albums that have kind of let me down in the middle or in the tail end. You know, Steve feels pretty strongly that, you know, the first half is definitely stronger than the second half. And on the broad, I would agree. But I think when I hone in on how personal the record is, even those moments where it gets more personal and... Steve feels like he was kind of pulled out of it a little bit, whereas I felt those moments kind of pulled me in more a little bit. I think instrumentally I was kind of let off the leash a little bit here and there, but as a whole, to not repeat what John and Steve said or what I've said earlier, um, I think that you know emotionally I got really pulled into this record, whether it was the way he was talking, it was what he was saying, it was how you know he put so much personality and character into the lyrics he delivered, that even in moments where I felt confused or I felt like I wasn't really getting the big picture, I was still interested, intrigued, and pulled in. And so for me, that was a really big part of it. Um, I will agree, though, it's not a five. Flat out, it's not a five for me because there are moments where I'm just not over the moon about this record. And though my fives have been in kind of a different vein than, than Steve and John sometimes, it is giving me some perspective because... There are albums that I've given fives that, as I listen to, I find more things I like less about. Like, if you had asked me to rate The Heist Now by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, I don't know that it would have been a five anymore. I've fallen out of love with some of the things about that record that really hooks me on a kind of poppy, kind of pull-you-in level in the beginning. I may be lowering it along with you. I'm not sure yet. Uh, I mean, in the, the year in review, which we can do as as many years into the future as we wish. Yeah, <laughs> I, guess, I guess. I guess we could go back. I don't know that I will, but for sure, you know, it just doesn't have the same kind of shine that it did. Whereas this album, I feel like I would discover more and more the more I listen to it and would have more shine. That said, again, still the the issues that I have, though not groundbreakingly terrible, are still noticeable. So. I'm a little higher than you guys. This for me, because of the emotional connection I made, and for me, it could just be because I'm imprinting on it a bit and kind of putting myself into the record. Projecting, is what I Even projecting, yeah. I'm gonna rate it a little higher. For me, it's a 4.75. I think it's approaching what I would love to see kind of rap and for sure indie or alternative rap steering towards. And a lot of the artists that I've cited before at nauseum on this podcast are doing that. I am super happy with this record. It makes me want to go back and check out its discography, which I absolutely will. So for me, this sits at a nice 4.75. You know, I think it's on its way, and as he matures and continues to even make more music, I think we could have a five on our hands in the future, especially from this guy. So that's where I sit with this record. And that brings us to today's topic, which is fitting for the album, considering how much we lauded how imaginative the lyrics are, but mostly it's actually about us and the fact that we have we have issue describing a lot of different parts of music through just words. Because, well, 
we get repetitive. In fact, that's one of the things that we have been calling out on on all three of us, but I had a lot of fun calling Matt out on that last week. Um, we have better weeks than others. But yeah. This, but um, it is the kind of thing where I, I, it's a little meta reaction where you start realizing whenever you, you notice that the artist is getting repetitive and then you become repetitive in describing it, does that absolve you? As the art, as the critic, yeah, no, it does. I don't when, it when, does. when the music is is that repetitive uh, that you have to kept saying, like, yeah, sure, it's doing the same <laughs> it's, provocative. I don't know. I, I, I never like to say space, it's, it's their fault that I'm at fault right now. I don't. Well, I can't. Uh, I can't go down that train of thought. The other thing is that we we tend to get very specific on our word choice, especially when we're being specific not to be repetitive. We get. We, it's not just you know eerie or scary or creepy it's a very specific adjective plus one of those words on top of that to describe something like that like we're we are very specific about our words at times to the point where it's like are you are you sure you want to say something like that like we've stopped and gone what do you you mean mean it's also partly because i mean when you've done (laughs) 200 episodes of anything you're gonna grasp at straws sometimes to express how you feel to make it sound original. I mean, think about a band. Take the Beatles, for example, who did tons of brilliant work and and imaginative stuff, but there are still things you can cite that this sounded exactly like this because when you've made that many songs, it's nigh impossible to not go back on something you know that worked because you know it worked. And we do that with our descriptors sometimes. We know something very much gets across how we feel, and so we reuse that word. Well, let me be the optimist for once. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Buckle up. Steve's going to be the optimist. I actually think that, especially considering some of the albums we did in recent weeks, and yes, I am aware that I, I was a little bit repetitive, to specifically today, about certain little elements here. Um, and I, I do wish I had kind of uh, worked out the thought. I do believe that it, gut reactions should not speak... That's that should not be what what music criticism is about. Right. It shouldn't be 100% about gut reactions, but we do find ourselves sometimes reverting to that when we realize we haven't given it proper thought, but then sometimes it's just like, well, well we're on air, just I gotta go with it anyway, and that's just what it ends up as. But I do think that, especially in the last, like, 10 episodes, you said we're already at, at 200. Well, in the 190s in general, about, yeah. we still manage very often to come across points that you know, perhaps partially because of of the uh, the album that we're looking at that were never made before. Yeah, like new points that had never been uttered at any other point in nearly two hundred episodes. And I find that that usually speaks to the fact that music is always kind of making our brains work harder. Um, so I I really do put the onus on us. <laughs> My being an optimist is work harder, get over it. In fact, I believe. You could please correct me if I'm wrong, because that means that you, as a listener, would have actually listened to these two episodes I'm about to cite. But in Yugen and Arca, I don't think we actually use the word spacious. Back to back episodes, no, yeah, 190, which, 194 which is, and 195. For the longest time, is one of our favorite tags to throw onto something that's that's airy, that's breathy, that's out there, <laughs> that that makes you feel like the expanse of the universe. Well, I, believe, I also don't believe it should be a synonyms game. Some, I mean, granted, of yeah. course, there is a reason why people, and I, I fully advocate. 
advocate uh, using a thesaurus, whether you're any type type of writer, because very often it just it can get your brain out of certain loops. That's what it's designed for. It's not it's not for the pretentious thing that people think. You know, it's <laughs> not for like I need another word just so I don't sound repetitive and I sound more intellectual. It's not that. It's really more about getting your brain out of loops, which is important. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that this podcast should necessarily be a synonym game because you, you got to be careful about doing the former. Right. If you're doing the former, then it really is about, like, I've said that word too much, I need another, another word. Yeah. No, the word will be appropriate, and you may continue using it as long as you feel it is still appropriate. Um, but if you don't feel it's 100% descriptive enough, or if you don't feel it's accurate enough, then consider the thesaurus, because you may find that word that is ten times more accurate than what you'd been using. But at the same time, we like to repeat things only because... They're so perfect at what we're describing. Which my is more bright, or less what Steve is saying, yeah. My bright chimes. I love using my bright chimes to very much describe a, a, a specific sound that does show up in different music and different types of music and different bands and everything like that. But whenever I say the bright chimes, I know exactly what I'm talking about and... These two know exactly what I'm talking about, and well, see, that's listeners I, will know I, what I'm, I'm talking about. I'm liking this topic already, because it gives us a chance to actually <laughs> criticize the word choice used by the critics, and I would say immediately that bright chimes is a redundant phrase, that chimes are inherently bright, unless you're, you know, it's like the really deep ones that are like the kind, the size of like an organ pipe, <laughs> but who uses those? Where but do you see them? It's to represent the, They're not chimes the, the, at that almost, the almost, not even metal, but the glass sound of breaking kind of chimes that are going on right there. The bells that toll and break as they toll. That mm. kind of a deal. And I just call them my bright chimes. Your bright chimes. You my bright chimes. Yeah, they belong to him. It's my term. It's you don't get bright chimes. I'm the only one that... Great. The only time you bring so it up not only does it broach the pretentious, you get possessive about it as well. Well, I think it's awesome to talk about this too as a topic because I'm not that we don't ever get meta here because we do. But also I think, you know... <laughs> Word choice is important for reviewing anything because if you can't properly describe and express how something makes you feel, you're not going to be great at reviewing it. And I'm not saying we're the best reviewers, but we can at least relate, explain, and kind of convey how something affected us. And that's very important for this. If you just go, it sucks, or yeah. it's bad. Or good. Stupid. That's, that's not like, like it, and I've cited this before on the podcast. When people tell me Nickelback sucks, I go, well, that's, that doesn't help me. Why did they suck? Yeah. Is it the lyrics? Is it the repetitive drums? Is it the unimpressive guitar work? Like, that tells me something sucks. Saying the word it sucks. You might be responsible for inspiring someone out in the world to actually start a podcast entirely devoted to why Nickelback, quote-unquote, sucks. Right. Um, but um, it's the I like same how he, I like how he questions it, yet has the reasons ready to explain <laughs> exactly. why. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's true. It's, it's not even that, that why. you got to explain why. You should have, you're saying he, you should have said and he, this reason. And he's brought this up this example so much and he never says why. Yeah. You can the tell. Thing, the other thing I want to go back to is the word meta that Matt just brought up again. <laughs> um, that's a word that we specifically do both love and hate to sure. throw around, but it's such a useful freaking word yeah. that... It, it describes certain things. I, some I, words we I got reserve to it. I try to really, really reserve it. Well, very look. There are a lot of things that people misuse, and it's very, well, very often words that that have such clear cut meanings. One of them uh, was irony. I think there's a bloopers uh, of you ex- tell, expl- trying to explain to me, John, that that no one knows what irony means. <laughs> you tried was, to tell me. You tried to literally convince me of this. No, there's 
I, nobody uses the word irony right. <laughs> which in and of do. itself <laughs> is self-defining, which is one of the only words I believe that it can be self-defining. Uh, I'm moving yeah, on. Yeah, that sounds like you can't define it. Yeah, <laughs> That's uh, what self-defining is. I'm moving on no, now because I... All right, here's the thing. When you're saying ironic, and I will just define it right here for the listener, it means in general antithetical to the point or how you'd think you might go about describing the point. Yeah. A little bit going against the grain in that regard, but don't, just, don't just, you know, just because it goes against the grain. It's, I will it, absolutely it w- cite our most overused word and probably the first half of our history, which is probably the word epic. We threw that word around constantly. Oh, I didn't. I have always hated well, the you, word Well, you, you didn't, but me and John did quite a bit. Well, that's because I was still trying to figure out what part of my vocabulary I was going to be using for this show, and I discovered that the uh, college-level vocabulary that I had presently been using on the show, which, contrary to popular belief, my college level is significantly dumber than my high school level. <laughs> uh, I believe that it was inappropriate just to say epic, because while epic has a very clear-cut description associated with it, it uh, leaves somewhat of a, of a foul taste and a lacking you know, kind of meaning when describing well, fun fact, music I as actually, epic. I actually took uh, an English course once called the Epic Tradition, which I'm sure got a lot of chuckles out of, you know, the people in the back row. That, hey, I'm taking the Epic Tradition. Yeah, in what? Um, in epics. In what epics actually are, which are a specific type of story that you cannot just merely attribute er- anything to. Yeah. Epics are the kinds of things that have both comedies and tragedies and, and all of it rolled into one. I believe the Odyssey is considered the an epic. The Odyssey is considered an epic. The yeah. Iliad is considered an epic. And, you know, it's to some extent, the modern, if you want to go modern, the modern Star Wars trilogy is probably considered, in, an, considered epic. an epic. There's a lot involved in that. And very on, there's also some really specific things you have to follow. Like, there does need to be a hero. There does need to be a villain. And the hero, you need to basically be following them over every little arc of their story. Yeah. It, gets, it gets more specific than that. But, uh, yeah, needless to say, yeah, that word needs to die. A <laughs> swift death. Lately, I think it's since important. nobody writes epics anymore. Well, I think it's important that proper ones, based on the album and the lyrical density and how we felt about it. You know, talking about word choices as a topic is very connected to it, um, and I think ultimately it's important that we're hyper conscious of the words we use, which I think is what John's mostly bringing up, is that we've kind of, over the years, become way more hyper-conscious of what we're using, what we shouldn't use, maybe what we're using too much, not Very enough. Very sensitive as well of, of what sort of words are more appropriate to be using in, in That's a word you used too much also. Which one? Appropriate. Because appropriate is kind of meaningless. Like you guys nice. call me out on that a few too many times, anyway. Yeah, that's but, true. <laughs> and I believe Steve said it earlier today, and I didn't call him out on it, but I was going to do that off air. But I get to now. Yes, I would never. I would never. <laughs> never, not Steve. If if he if Steve did use this after this aired, and you want to edit together. John saying he did, Steve denying it, and then Steve using it. We would love for you to send that in. In fact, I'm just going to keep this little blame train going and pass it on to Matt. Matt <laughs> always says appro- appropriate to whom? <laughs> to whom? To the song? It's not sentient. It, it could be. You don't know. Anyway, <laughs> what I'm getting at is it's really hard to come up with the right words at the right times to describe a lot of this stuff. So we appreciate you being along for the ride as we, you know, try to articulate exactly what this stuff means to us. Because that's essentially what we're doing. It can only get better, right? <laughs> In theory. No, we can get worse. We <laughs> could. Get a, it's true. We, we could we get, like, we get like a big money deal and then not care anymore and we can retire check out. to the hills. People can show up on hangovers. <laughs> can, quote, can unquote, happen. sell out. Okay. Can um, let's uh, shift gears and let's uh, read a comment. We have a listener uh, reaching out to us about... Uh, 
one of the albums we reviewed. It happened to be Baby Metal, which we did on what episode, Steve? That was episode 189, not too long ago. Um, so yeah, obviously, just a little connection here. Uh, we picked the topic on, on word choice because, well, we just visited a rapper who obviously is has to be kind of just by nature incredibly precise about their words. And of course, in terms of fandom and in terms of caring about your artist and doing proper research, you'd also want to be pretty precise about your word choice. And we were a little bit imprecise in episode 189, specifically regarding our research. We were engaging in some conjecture about the band in that episode, which was Baby Metal and their album Metal Resistance, and as a result, came across perhaps as a little bit imprecise or just flat out wrong on certain <laughs> points. But we got some corrections, presumably from a longtime fan of the band, if not involved. See, even that is not research because he didn't exactly explain. But his name is Gary, and he corrected us on things that people should be correcting us on all the time. Please, frankly, yes. please. We, we, we love this. We'd love a lot more um, constructive even if, criticism. Yeah, well, in this case, it's flat out corrections. <laughs> well, some of it is constructive criticism as, as well, but I would like to see both, frankly, sure. in, under our posts. So he starts off first. Hi, enjoying the podcast. I wanted to point out a couple of things at the beginning about Baby Metal that I think should be cleared up. First, the Kami band only play live with the girls. They aren't on the album. The album features uh, Lita on L-E-D-A on uh, guitar and bass, and the drums are programmed, so not played by a human being. Um, Road of Resistance was a collaboration with Dragon Force, and it's Sam Topman and Herman Lee on guitars. So just to address this quickly. Um, it's, it's funny because we were lauding how great the drums are, so yeah. really wouldn't that be pretty imprecise to say, like, you know, it's virtuosic if a computer is doing it? Does that factor into Somebody our Somebody had to program it, so they were virtuosic. No. Yeah, it's not quite the same. I would also say, though, if they're expecting a live band to play it, then the players of said music must be virtuosic to do what they were doing anyway and designing those drums on a machine may be as hard if not harder than actually being a drummer and playing said that drums. is not true hands down no no it would be harder it would be harder. no nope. not even no nope. not even true just not even indulging so let's there. move on um nevertheless i don't believe it took away from the art and that's why i don't believe it will really affect <laughs> the rating choice um he continues by suggesting a video he says we should check out the live video for road of resistance um, he actually thinks it's better than the studio version. And the video is provided in the comment. Um, also, there's another correction. Uh, I'm not sure where you got this idea that they have two drummers and four guitarists. Please check out some live videos. I think we were... <laughs> Please refer to place where it is not what you said. Uh, that was you, John. You said they had four... four I don't know where you pulled that, but I, I, trusted, I trusted you. I, I, I can actually cite the source again, but it was actually explained by the band. Either uh, someone doing an interview on them or otherwise that that's what the lineup was for the live band. Well, I'm not sure if this point was in it, but there are some and things that this guy... Rec some of this stuff is Wikipedia information. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you flake. Um, another one is uh, not so much a correction. I, I At least I can't recall whether this is a correction or not. GJ and Sis Anger is Black Baby Metal, which is when Yui and Moa sing and live... Uh, Sue Metal takes a break. So that was the third girl, and there were a few where it's just the two girls. So it's right. actually considered like its own little sub-band. Okay. Like, like it has a name. It's right. very interesting. Um, 
So it's just good information to have. Um, another thing he continues, I love the Kami band, but you're giving them way too much credit. Like I said, they're not on the album. He he posted this in like several different comments. So I can just imagine him listening to the to the episode, episode and commenting and as all the times we're yeah. just going on about how oh Kami band, like they're really like crucial to this album. They're not there at all. Yeah. Um so yeah, he says, please check out the wiki page for this album to view the list of virtual army of songwriters and arrangers. Um, he also continues, Tales of Destinies and The One share a motif and were intended to be sort of a longer piece. If you listen to Tales of Destinies again, you'll hear the melody played faster near the beginning, and the piano outro is the same melody. Now that's interesting. I did go back and I checked that out, and that's just something that we really just should have noted, considering yeah. we do like to note uh, motifs, and we try to do this as often as possible. And looking back, it was a little bit subtle, but it is. It is It is very apparent. It's good things to just to kind of tie albums together. And then finally, this was uh, a direct comment on Matt's uh, closing, closing monologue. The girls didn't know anything about metal. And that was based on his conjecture that, well, the girls probably, this is a quote, Matt, uh, probably knew metal when they were young. They probably loved metal. And, no, you know, I mean, we can assume maybe that this this is a result of their long experience with metal. Well, apparently, as he says, they were in Sakura Gaikuin, uh, which is a J-pop group with, like, 12 girls. Um, and SG, just, just to acronym it, uh, has subgroups, and these girls were chosen for the heavy music subgroup, which was an idea by producer Koba Metal, uh, Ki Kobayashi, who was a huge fan of metal. So it's the producer who was the big fan. So that was the, where we screwed up. Um, so they didn't grow up at all liking metal. If you want to watch any SG videos, um, in my opinion, it becomes clear that Sue Metal had more vocal talent than the other girls uh, in SG. Yua and Moa were extra cute and had great personalities, which I guess probably is a big prereq in J-pop. They were envisioned as angels that float around Sue Metal. Anyway, these girls have been in the business since they were dig single-digit ages, and if it weren't for the idea of Kobayashi, we most likely would never have heard of them. So there we are. Interesting. Well, thank you for those corrections, comments, and relating to the episode. We appreciate our listeners, and we appreciate anything you have to say about what we do. So thank you for sharing, and uh, you know, we're not perfect. We've said that pretty much since episode one. <laughs> so, But our aim is perfection, right? I feel like if I was He's a lesser man, I would be no. all indignant and upset and everything like that and probably defensive and making terrible comments about parentage or something like that. But otherwise, thank you. Yes, but you're not young. And I'm not impulsive like yes. that anymore or anything thank like God. that. And you know when you keep your balls in check, that's good. <laughs> all right. Um, all Steve, right. why don't you tell us what we're no, doing next week? Uh, we are doing next week On the Impossible Past by the Menzingers, brought to us by our guest, Matt Dorsey. Matt Dorsey of Blue Spruce, which is a local Brooklyn band. Now, I have actually known Matt Dorsey ever since we were in college. He was a SUNY New Pulse. Uh, I'm bringing my college people down here. <laughs> I've said this a couple times. The SUNY New Pulse was a, a, a place where you don't expect great musicians to come from, but as far as I'm concerned, they definitely do. So he went into music. Uh, production, media and production. And he's been a bassist, he's been in a couple of different bands, and Blue Spruce is his latest project. They can be found on Bandcamp. Uh, their music will be featured, and I look forward to an exciting interview and an exciting review uh, from an old friend of mine, Matt Dorsey, with On the Impossible Past by the Menzingers. So we're excited to have him as our June guest, and uh, be sure to come back next week so you can hear us chat with Matt and then uh, talk about that record. So remember... On that note, because I had zero transition, so I'm just going to go to our saying and not stall any longer. Music, Music is, is life and, and life, life is, is good. good.
If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.